folks. Welcome to Stephen Runs Vegan. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Stephen. I do run vegan. And I'm really glad you're here. Today on the podcast, there's a special treat for you. It's a really great interview. This one runs long, but trust me, there's something in there for everybody. I'm very proud of it and delighted my guest joined me for a chat. I knew it would be fun. My guest today is Danny Holmes Kirk. Danny is a friend of mine from November Project Amsterdam. It's where we met. She has run oh, just an incredible amount of races, 66 half marathons, 17 marathons, an ultra marathon, triathlons, and Ragnar, loads more. And all the while, she's raising money for worthy causes, most recently the Stroke Association, and just prioritizing the important things about running and about life, just having fun, celebrating it, sharing the love and spreading joy. Danny is a blogger, focusing on her terrific weight loss journey, as well as mental health, fitness and expat life check out weightoffmyshoulders.com for all of danny's wonderful writing danny and i are good friends we could have chat we, the chat could have gone on all day as i said the episode does run long but that's what happens when good friends share some beers and talk about running and life in general must be the irish in us i suppose there's talk of danny's backstory how she got introduced to running and into november project we talk a lot about the difference between European and American race culture. I mean races as in the athletic races, not uh, racial situations. That's a different thing in America these days. We don't go there. We talk about causes Danny feels passionate about, such as a stroke, raising awareness about strokes, as I said. And her most recent running achievement, the 2020 Virtual London Marathon. And as terrific as it is that Danny ran another marathon and she ran it really well I'll, I won't spoil that but I'll get into it trust me that whole festival of running that Danny created it's worth sticking around and hearing all about it of course we cover two of Danny's favorite subjects that being Disney and pretty related how to enjoy a race how to really savor a race what and what she prioritizes and why that's fun laughter value for money taking selfies during the race having drinks during a race dressing up in costume High fives, hugs, just really getting the most out of the day. So there are some sound issues, and we I do get a visit from a, a neighbor's cat halfway through during the recording. My neighbor's cat likes to pop in from time to time just to say hello. So you, I think you will hear some cat noises in the background for a while. I've edited most of it out. But yeah, this conversation could have gone on all day. Danny just has so many stories to tell. We we reference a few things here and there that we just didn't have time to get around to. So I really look forward to getting her back on the podcast sometime at a later date. And Danny, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story with me and with the listeners. Until then, you can follow her on Instagram at irisheyes1982. Yeah, until then, enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. like most of the I think most of the podcasts I like I've started the recording like before the person comes in yeah I love that that's good and that's when it's like oh no we're already doing this like there is no like intro or like whoever this is going to be because you just like add it in later yeah and you're getting you're getting the the real thing like the guest to be this superstar and they'll say oh are we we recording so you realize well I would this is what was happening before I got here right which is um, the first guest I had Paul on my podcast. Do you know the plugging guy? Have you met him? No, I've heard about it though. He's really cool. Like he's just gonna 
take over the internet sooner or later. He's yeah. so creative. Um, I met him through Harlan Park one. Oh, wait. He came to NP. He did. He came to NP. So That's I right. did meet him. He was yes. the guy who biked from Harlem. Yes, that was him. So yes. MP people always say to me, wow, it's amazing. You come from Harlem. Like, it's one train ride, <laughs> 15 minutes. I probably leave my house later than some Amsterdam. Oh, you, for sure. I leave it, yeah, because I have to leave it like 5.30. But I was talking to him. Yeah, coming all the way from Harlem. I know. <laughs> I, I just love it so Dedicated. much. Dedicated. So I got Paul into it because he, he, he followed me and Shiva. Yeah. And discovered a lot about MP through that. Mm. And just, really curious about it first of all he said during that like, he didn't realize how hard it was because he's a runner and like most of us that's all he wants to do he yeah. doesn't do any core work um, oh, I haven't done this much strength training in like 20 years <laughs> he's just a really lovely chirpy guy but I discovered him through uh, MP or not MP Parkrun we, we, yeah. we set up this volunteer WhatsApp group and there was one other English speaker in the WhatsApp group popping up all the time and I followed him and suddenly there's there's all this blogging stuff. Like, what is blogging? But then when I met him for test runs, and it didn't happen because this was all February and March, right. back in the naive early months of 2020, uh, he was just a really fun guy. And he's in his 50s, I believe. But he has so much energy and like childlike joy. It's so infectious. And I, thought, I, don't, I barely know this guy, but I'm gonna, I have to get to talk to him. I just started my podcast. I think I've done one introduction and one episode fully. Yeah. So I, I tried to have this like formal dialogue with Paul, but thankfully Paul is just such a talker, like in the most wonderful way. Yeah. He, he'll start telling a story and 20 minutes later come back around to the end of the story. And that's really nice. So I just hit record and like let him do his thing. And occasionally I came in with a, a question or <laughs> I'd asked him about how he started plugging and he was talking about going to a Cure concert in 1984 where we were like, I'm plugging, oh yes, and that, and going back into it. But it was a really good interview, and I was, still to this day, the sound is terrible, and I didn't know how to edit, so it was chopping and changing everywhere. But if someone wanted to listen to one, I would say that episode three, maybe, of my podcast yeah. with, with Paul is a great place to start. Yeah, he was super nice when he came, I think just the one time so far. There was another yeah. guy that came, and he was like, yeah, this was, like, too easy for me. I thought this would be harder. And it was like, okay, buddy. So you came from NBA London, didn't you? I don't remember. So there was... Not, was no, not not the young guy. Rich. Rich was the young guy. He's, no, he's fine. Yeah. It was the person, no, Luke also was good. He's a machine. Yeah, he's a yeah. beast. I follow him on Strava, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, he follows me. I'm, I haven't yet returned it, because I don't think I've met him properly. And also just that, like, oh, fuck, this guy's really good. He's, yeah, he's always running. But, like, he also, like, varies his pace, which is nice. So, like, mm-hmm. he had, like, a six minute the other day. And I was like, okay, I like it, I like it. It's not always, yeah, like, yeah. for something. No, it was a different guy that only came on the birthday. And I didn't see him after that, didn't see him before that. Um, and he was, like, right in the front of the picture. I'm sure. I but I just chat, was chatting with him and um, Violet's boyfriend. yeah. And he, yeah, he was, I was just like, oh, what do you think? And he was like, it's like just really easy. And I was like, cool. <laughs> On the other side, I'm like, that. I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. I thought this was really tough. The thing I always liked about NP is that it's so customizable. Right. It can be easy if you need it to be. Right. Because sometimes you have a bad day and I'm just going to take it. But it's never designed that way. Like you can, Right. 
I, I would never have called it easy. I'm looking at the birthday picture now. I'm not sure which guy it might be. He was. Oh, okay. No, I didn't. And I had I never seen him. him before. Never saw him since. <laughs> so apparently, it's just it was too easy yeah, for too. him. I was just like, oh, okay. I'm gonna go back to eating my birthday cookie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that part was nice and easy. Yeah. But yeah, November project. I'm sure now too easy. Everybody, so come along. Yeah. We should start it could be for everyone. Like we literally, trick, but we trick, apparently oh. not if you're too buff. Have you done another MP? Um, I did one Boston nice. on the hills. Before so it was a Friday. Yeah, so I only went because um, I was doing a race weekend with Runners World, and they had all of the bloggers go to an NP workout, oh, and cool. I was like. So you I really want to go to NP because I knew about it, but I knew it was all super fit people that I was oh. never, so I never went because pretty much everyone I knew that went to NP is super fit and yeah. like be cures and all this. And I was like, I don't really need that jam. So I would go and no, do the no. stairs the day before. So I would do them on Tuesdays. So you did the stadium. The, mm-hmm. the, oh, wow. And I would always do it on Tuesday because there was no one there. Interesting. So it was fantastic because I would like take my time and no one, and then they would go on Wednesdays and which seems whatever. like the opposite of the NP culture, or what they try to like show to the world, like everybody's welcome, all abilities. Yeah, I just never felt that it. way. No, yeah, yeah. and everyone would tell me, like my friend Jonathan was like a proponent, where he was like, "You have to show up, like just come." Like he tried so hard to recruit, and I was like, "I'm not, I'm not we doing do it." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "I'm just not, I'm not coming. I don't feel." And I was like in good shape at that point, where what I felt was not like now, but I was just like, I don't feel comfortable going to that because everyone I know. No. So we, I, I was forced to go on a Friday morning as yeah. a result of this blogger thing. That I, I liked better because it was doing these this hill workout where no one could really count where you were or what number loop you were on. Because, was it in the stadium? Or no. So on Fridays was this big hill um, in Brookline. It's actually on the marathon. Yeah, yeah, it's on the marathon course. So I knew that hill. I just had never run it before. So I liked that workout better because one, I was with people I knew, mm-hmm. um, like the other bloggers. Um, but I liked it because you could not tell that someone was like lapping you. Yeah. Whereas in the stairs, it's obvious if someone pat <laughs> like you can see someone on the other right. side when you're like, it's been like the MP Amsterdam PR day, how it used to be. Because the, unless you were following someone, you didn't really know who was where. No, after so a you while. could still. I mean, yeah, that was a different thing. And on the Wednesday, though, I felt because you can just see the stadium, it's pretty easy to tell where people you were. Do, you have to do a full lap of the stadium. Mm-hmm. If you're over there, you're nearly finished because that's where it started. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So you could see from the other side. Yeah. Um, and so that was like a fun one, but that was the one I went to, and only because. I was told to go to it, so we had to, and then we had to write about it. And you didn't feel like returning based on that? No. Also, it wasn't really easy to get to from Somerville, where Mm -hmm. I lived, in like to get to Brookline. So it wasn't like I was so in love with it that I would want to like travel there on a Friday morning. I was like, I can just work out near my house. So I did that one, and that was it before I finally came to Amsterdam. So let me just quickly say to people here, this I'm talking to Danny, Danny Holmes Kirk, he's a friend of mine. Um, As you can hear, we just hit record after a few tech problems and got into it. <laughs> I'll do the whole intro thing properly uh, in my own time. But yeah, Danny's from Boston and she lives over in Amsterdam now in the Netherlands. She's a friend of mine from running from November Project. And we're just talking about all of that sort of stuff. So it's a lot of podcasts I listen to are just 
you were born here. Tell me about your parents. Where did you go to school? How did you start running? And that's all for a reason. People want to know that stuff for relatability. But I don't know. I like when that stuff just comes out in the flow of conversation naturally. So I don't want to ask you how, how school was and all this stuff. But you did. You were a runner in Boston. Well, like, which came first? Were you were you born and raised Boston? Yeah, so I was born and raised in the city next to Boston, so Somerville. Mm. Um, so you could see Boston from where I lived. Okay. Um, and I actually was never a runner. Um, I despised running. It was the reason why I was a catcher in softball, <laughs> because you ran the least amount. That's why I, like, did not understand why people played soccer or football because you had to run a lot. And I was like, this that was seems like a waste. Part. So I played football. I played all the ball sports as a kid. I was never great, but I enjoyed it. So when you're nine, it doesn't matter. Right. 13, 14, the good ones start to get really good and it's no fun anymore. But um, in training for football, the, the running was always a bore. I do three laps of the pitch. Ugh, I'd rather, I want to just play. I want to kick the ball. So that's when you're with your friends and you're, you you're active in a sport, that's fun, but the running itself is not the reason I did it. No. But even the running in the sport, I wasn't really feeling. I Nightmare. was like, I don't really need to do all of that. So I pretty much avoided running for as long as I could. And then I think it was like 2005, I was like, you know what? I really want to try to lose weight. And it seems like a lot of people tend to lose weight while running. So like, maybe I'll give it a try. And my dad ran, my dad ran the Boston marathon. My dad was a very big runner. He did the Jeff Galloway method, Mm -hmm. which is the run walk. And so he was someone that I was like, he can do it. Like, this is great. Maybe I'll give it a try. Because there's usually always a person in your life who starts you running. That's what I tended to find. For me, it was my dad as well. And he, he actually said that if I wanted to pick up running, like he would pay for me to do races with him if we did them together. Wow. And so that was huge. So he was big. And he so he was like a real good, good proponent of it. And so we would do like a Thursday race series where you would run around the Charles River in Boston and it would be like a four miler once a month. And it was like you got a t-shirt every time. And then if you completed the whole series, you got a jacket. So things like that we got into. And so he would run with me. He had knee problems and he thankfully gave those to me as well. It was (laughs) so nice of him. Um, But so we started running together and then, so that was in 2005. And so in 2006, I did my first half marathon, um, and he ran it with me. And I remember it was February on Cape Cod. It was snowing. Here's how little I knew about running. (laughs) I was wearing a rugby jersey. Oh, wow. Because I played rugby in college, and I knew that it, like, kept me warm. It's a sportsy kind It's of sportsy. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it looks like yeah. it would be a great thing to wear. And so I wore that. And I was like, I, you look back and you're like, what in yeah, God's yeah, name yeah. were you thinking? So I did the half marathon. And like many people before me, I was like, I'm going to do a full marathon. I'm going to do the whole thing now. Now that I've done the half, I enjoyed it. I'm on those endorphins. Mm-hmm. Let me sign up for an you, actual marathon. You didn't have that because I've run a half with a – I've run – half marathons with someone when it's their first time and they can have strong opinions either way like my mother was so proud she did it will never do it again like just, that's it it's black and white there's you're wasting your time or the, and there's other people like my ex-girlfriend who did it and like, oh that was not as bad as i expected and suddenly yeah. a marathon doesn't seem so ridiculous anymore you were of that mentality. i was of that mentality yeah. 
And I was like, I can do this twice. And like, I don't think I really thought about like that second half is a lot to take on. (laughs) So I came home and signed up for a September marathon. On the day. Uh, It was like right around that. If not the day, it was around that day. I was still feeling, I was riding that runner's high. So you did, how how did that half marathon go? You did pretty well. It was fun. I think we finished in like 220 something, if I remember correctly. I can actually check my blog and it's (laughs) there somewhere. Way off my shoulders. (laughs) And um, so it was... It was a fun experience. I had a lot of fun with my dad. Yeah, Yeah. it was like a really good thing that we accomplished together. And then he said, okay, you can train for the marathon, but like, I I can't run with you. Like that was when his knees were starting to get bad. And he was like, the half is the farthest that I can do. So beyond this, you're going to have to do it by yourself. That ended up being a really hard training cycle. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. I was doing it by myself, so there wasn't, like, a whole lot of accountability. I had, like, a very basic watch, too. I think it was, like, a Timex <laughs> that, like, didn't really do GPS and just did time. Like, I just remember it being, like, very small. Phones didn't do what they do now. Phone, like, not at all, because yeah. it was 2006. Yeah. And I personally was battling an eating disorder at the same time. So I wasn't fueling correctly. Definitely probably got injured during the training. I think I read something about your earlier, like, training or your fueling habits because of the eating disorder. Oh, yeah. It was was horrible. Unbelievable. I I can't remember the specifics now, but it was, wow. How Obviously, it's a disorder. You're not, you're ill. So it's not a logical thing at all. But I'm sitting here reading it. Like, that's really bad fueling, but... 100%. But in my mind, I was like, it makes, it makes total sense. So that was part of the problem is that when I showed up for the marathon, like I was not fully trained. I should not have done that. (laughs) Um, I was wearing a cotton t-shirt, basketball shorts, like again, the whole thing did not know what I was doing. We drove to New Hampshire. I, you know, my friend and I stayed there the night before. It's the Boston Marathon. No, so my first one was a very small marathon in Keene, New Hampshire. It's like 45 minutes from Boston. Okay. There were, I think, 400 people in the race. Again, I know I have it written down of how many people because I finished third to last. Oh, well. So I fin- I was the last female to finish. Okay. And I finished third to last. You finished your first marathon. I finished. Despite and that, all the odds. that was one where I didn't think I was going to finish. Yeah. So I showed up with no fuel. Because again, my mind was like, you can't eat during this. Like you're going to don't, don't eat during this. Like you'll be fine. Do just think, drink water. Do you think that was any athletic logic or so at the time? No, or was it just the totally disorder? the disorder so, being like, wow. don't eat anything. Like you'll be fine. So then I was out there clearly not fine. I also went out way too fast, of course, because yeah. a friend either only was running part of it or ran a hat. I think she only ran part of it as a training run to start with me. And I went out too fast, like blazing first 10 miles. And then again, she's gone. And I'm like, now I'm by myself. I remember a random woman running up to me being like, do you have any fuel on you? And I was like, not at all. So she gave me a bar. I remember she ran ahead of me, realized that my dad and my friends were there. And she told them like, you need to get her something. She has no fuel. So they went, yeah, they went to a store and like bought me a Luna bar, cliff bar. (laughs) So that by the time I saw them again, because again, it was a very small race in New Hampshire with like zero spectators. Mm. So I was just 
out there on the roads by myself. Like it was mentally tough. It started raining and I was wearing (laughs) a cotton shirt. Thank goodness my friend showed up and drove next to me because, again, there was no one near me. So she drove next to me playing music out her car. My dad was, yeah, my dad's telling me to, like, stop. Like, you don't have to finish. And I was like, yes, I do. I have been out here so long. He's the runner. Surely he gets it. Yeah, but he could tell in what pain I was in that he was like, you don't have to keep going. But I was like, I will. And then I saw this, I think he was 80, with his son. And I was like, I have to at least pass them. Because it was it was then, like, the, the van came up mm-hmm. to tell me that they were taking the finish line down. And if I didn't finish within the next uh, out X amount of minutes, there was going to be no finish. Yeah. And uh-huh. I also was like, I'm going to finish. Yeah, that's all you need. So I passed that old man and his son. <laughs> it started to pour again. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> and I finished as they were taking the finish line down. There was no post-race food. There was no one handing out medals. Oh. There was, they were actually taking it down. They stopped. To, they didn't take the <laughs> timer down yeah. because they saw me coming. Because oh, you had to wow. turn a corner and then go straight. And is that all that underwhelming at the finish line? Or are you just glad to be over the line? You I mean, care? I was glad to be finished. Only now in retrospect, having done many more marathons and yeah. many races in general. Where they're not packing up around you. Where they're not packing up around you. And I still finished yeah. in five fifty nine twenty six. It wasn't that I was out there for thirteen hours. I still finished in under six hours, and that was part of the reason why I was like, I said, I'm never doing this again. Yeah, I was like, that was a horrible experience. Line. Yes, they were taking things down, but like there was no fanfare, and I felt like I still did very well. Yeah, that if they're not going to support the back of the pack, literally the last female coming through, and then the dad and the and the grandpa oh, they, like the came in after me. They were right after right, me. Yeah. Um, like, why am I going to do this? Like, this isn't very exciting. It's very different to any of the experiences I've had. I've since run a few smaller races, but half marathon maybe. I've never, any marathon I've done has been a big city event, uh, with the exception of the ultra, like technically the marathon distance. But yeah, I've, I'm always mid-pack these days and even in my first marathon. So I've never had that experience of pure isolation. Yeah, it definitely impacted. I think I didn't realize at the time how much it impacted me until I started doing later races and being either kind of in the back of the pack again, or I am usually kind of in the middle. Yeah. So comparing my experience to maybe that of my friends that were in the back. So we did a race weekend where my friends were in the back and they were literally cleaning the race up around them. Like they went through a water stop. The people were cleaning up behind them. That sort of demoralizing really should not happen. When you're getting like warm Gatorade or warm water and it's just, these are the people who need it most. Right. Need the support, need the energy, need the crowd. Certainly I'm I'm not an elite athlete by any means, but I just live off the the buzz. The adrenaline, the fellow runners and the crowd. And if you're near the back and that's not happening whether you're injured or you're just a bit slower or whatever that's what will get you over the line everyone pays the same entry fee everyone should get the same experience yes and so for me that hurts and so i've had that where i've done races and i've shared my experience maybe it's a disney race where actually in the disney races i tend to start in the first corral or one of the first Mm. corrals so my experience is 
vastly different than that of my wife, who is usually in one of the last corrals. Yes. Where she can't stop her character stops because the lines are already too long. Or they are going to get picked up because if you don't hit a certain point, they have to open the streets or whatever it might be. And that has made me more aware of people aren't all getting the same experience and that's not okay. Everyone has paid the same. Everyone should get the same experience. And that's why I love going to cheer races and to be that person is like, I will be there from the beginning to the end because I know what it's like when no one is there. And you're like, I'm here. Like I have been out here for six hours. Like anyone just for you. And they they feel appreciated. They feel supported. Right. I was about to tell my story that came to mind when I was telling that, but I've just eaten a big (laughs) bunch of peanuts and chocolate now, which is delicious. Sorry. If you're listening to this for audio file reasons, find another podcast, (laughs) watch an ASMR vlog. But it was the Amsterdam half marathon. One of the first times, not the first time I met you, but, we we were newly introduced at the time. Danny had just started coming to NP Amsterdam. Yeah, I think it was. I think that was maybe I had been twice. The early days, for sure. Yeah, because I joined in September, twenty eighteen. I joined the birthday day. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, the, the second, second the second birthday oh, cool. was the first time I came. That doesn't seem that long ago. Wow. Okay, it is. Yeah, because 2020 has been seven years long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, so I wasn't running the Amsterdam Marathon that year. I had run it the previous year. And friends of mine who were part of NP, Mark and Violet, were setting up a cheer station at, I don't know, near the end of the race, kilometer. It was halfway. Oh, halfway. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Because that okay. that flipped me for the rest. Because I got the first half of that Amsterdam half marathon has got to be the most boring yeah. race I have it is, ever done. I don't know. How, did you follow the marathon course then? We didn't. No, oh. it's different because it's just in the industrial area. Oh, so okay, people say worse. that the marathon is much better because you go out, you see some windmills, like you're seeing something. This yeah. was just industrial area only. I could have been in Tennessee because it reminded me of Rock and Roll Nashville, oh, okay. where we also went through a business park really? that was closed Nashville? and you're like... This is so much fun. The rock and roll races are a bit more expensive. And in Nashville, you think you're going to be partying all the time there. Well, no. you. So you still had the bands every mile. Yeah. But because you need to cover 26 miles. Right. So for most rock and rolls, and I was an ambassador for them. I ran them for six years. Mm-hmm. The half marathon is what they're tailoring it to. Because that's what a majority of people sign up for. So the most fun and the most scenery is in the half. Uh, well, that, that I, I ran the Rock and Roll half. And I got yeah, the so same thing in New Orleans. There. I also did the half because when you're ending the Rock and Roll half in New Orleans, the marathon takes a left yeah. and they do a back half that is all through neighborhoods it's and there is suburbs. no one there. Yeah, yeah. Same thing in Nashville. You pair off at mile 11 and you go off into the back roads of Nashville where they're just making up miles. We went through like one cute park. And of course, the band was taking a break when we went through there. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. Because especially in Nashville, I had run Boston five days prior. So I was in my second marathon that week. And I was like, I don't even like country music, but you're not playing anything as I'm like trudging through this park. I was so annoyed. So folks, Danny might reference a few stories here. Like you just run Boston five uh, days previously, but there are so many races and so many stories. We're just not going to get through them all today. 
Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll do our best to get a nice generic uh, overview of it. My experience of supporting on race day, like with the band taking a break, that's I felt a bit guilty because you do get tired yeah. after a while. Um, I was there with with Mark and Violet. I think maybe there was one other person there as well. But we made signs and we had all run races, marathons, and the like previously, so we knew what it was like to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I was scanning for every name on a bib. Any t-shirt they wore, if it's a charity thing, I would shout out the charity. Anything to just put a smile on their face because especially at the halfway point in a marathon, if you've run a half in training, it's very different because then, okay, I'm, I'm already sore and I know now as I cross this mat for sure, I have to do the exact same thing again. And it's it's tough. So you want to get everybody or get as many people as possible, but it's just a wave. They just come at you and at you. It is. And... I also have spectated like a ton and like, especially like I spectated London marathon last year. So like being and knowing the experience on the other side, like you do want to do that, but there is truth when you say like, it is harder to spectate a race than run. And I a hundred percent understand. Like all I have to do is run. I don't have to like hold a sign and yell and make sure that you are cheering for those people. Plus you can't miss the person that you're there for. And that's the other half of it is like, when I'm a runner, like, I'm caring about, like, who is here today? Do I know where they are? Am I going to miss them? You know, it's different when it was, like, a home race. And for me, luckily, the Boston Marathon was a home race. But I knew there was going to be more people out there. And I had to keep track of, like, are you going to be on my left? Are you going to be on my right? Like, I need to make sure I stop and see you. Yeah. Some runners aren't like that. They're not going to stop and see their family. I am because they made the effort to come out here and wait for hours to see me. But especially if we're doing a row, a race out of town, my wife is the one traipsing around this city tracking me. If I miss her, I feel so guilty about it. Mm. And that happened during the Paris Marathon. We miscommunicated what side of the road she was going to be on. And so I said, all right, at halfway, I'm not going to miss you. Like, be very clear about <laughs> where you are and I will find you. It's really hard because, for, especially for the big city marathons, there's people from the start line to the right. finish line and in a big city and there's so many people running the race and you have to get your timing right it's it's not easy i've missed more spectators than i've seen i think on, yeah. at the on the outset i had the same with my my first marathon was i ran it with my dad we were in cologne in germany great day great race overall um but my girlfriend came along at the time to support us and only afterwards we got home, the, the buzz dies down, you have your medal, you're, you're, you're limping along, like, you know, your legs are in pain, but you start to say, oh, how, so what was your day like? And yeah. then you realize, wow, that was, she did it her own marathon in her, in her own way. Just did, we saw her three times on the course, and considering there was no phone calls or anything, we just kind of told her our pace and hoped for the best. And for her to see us three times in a city marathon was impressive. And at the time, I didn't realize that, the work that goes into it. Yeah. So you, you want to be there for everybody, but number one, because I I remember before I was a runner, really, I might stumble across the city marathon. The Dublin marathon might be on my hometown. And you would kind of check it out, see people running by. And, oh, a bit of fun, cool music, whatever. No big deal. I remember I was in Porto with my ex uh, traveling and the marathon was on and we stood up at, at the railing for a while. I clapped a little bit and, cheered a few people and probably 10 people it was like two minutes at the barrier and we yeah. walked away 
and nobody looked at us. Like nobody was, you know, acknowledging our support. Yeah. Our very mediocre support. But you don't realize they've been they've had this for three hours already, and are probably near the finish line. By the looks of where we were, there were some tired faces. So it looked like we were near the end of the race. And you, th- I'm when I'm that guy in the last stretch of a marathon, I'm exhausted. Mental mentality is all over the place. You don't you you need that. You need the support incredibly, but you can't thank everybody. You can't yes. appreciate everyone. There's such tunnel vision that you just, you need it, but you have no way of showing them how much you need it. That was my experience. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I do a lot of like fist bumping. Yeah. Just raising. Like, just like raising my hand being like, I, I feel you. Like Changes I'm with you. Changes as the you. race goes on. And I think that is the difference between people that do race and spectate and general spectators. Massively. Yeah. Um. Because, yes, I can definitely see probably spectators sometimes being like, why is no one, like, acknowledging that I have been standing here for X amount of hours? I shouted your name. Why aren't you looking at me? Right. And then I think there's other people that are like, oh, I've been in their position or I can expect what their position is like or a friend of mine has been in that role. Like, you can kind of understand it. But I feel like if you're going to spectate a marathon, there is a level of understanding of, like, what what the day is going to entail. Unless you do stumble upon it. Which I'm sure there are people that do, and in particular, one place that is that is Disney. Okay. You know, I've done the Disney the World Marathon anyway. twice. Mm. Um, the first time I did it, I did not take as much time just, like, enjoying the race. So my second time, I was out there for, like, over seven hours. Nice. I had, like, the time of yeah. my life. I Get waited in every – I took a roller coaster ride during the marathon. <laughs> like, I had a margarita in Mexico on I the way to the finish. Possible. Like, oh, yeah, it was fantastic. So the park is just open. They so open what? at, like, 9 o'clock. So the race starts at 5.30. So the first time I ran it, I was – Taking it all in, I always stop for the character yeah. stops, but I was in an earlier corral, and so the lines weren't so long. So I made it through a little bit faster, and again, the lines weren't so long. That can really impact your time. Mm-hmm. So I finished the first one and didn't fully embrace the experience. But still, by the time I got to Epcot, which is the final park yeah. on your way to the finish, the parks are open. They open at 9 o'clock. Wow. So if you're out there, and so these are people that are condition. like, what is going on? Like, why is Elsa running past me? <laughs> and like, why does she look like she's had a tough morning? Like, I was dressed as um, Snow White the first time. Nice. And I was like, just done at that point. Because yeah. you're like on your way. You can see the finish line. And they have such a good, good setup of how to get people through the race so that the racers aren't impacted but also the guests aren't impacted because they have paid a lot of money to yeah, be at Disney. that doesn't surprise me. But that is the ultimate place where people have happened upon a marathon and are like, what the F is happening here? <laughs> like, we're just here to like see Mickey and there are thousands of people limping through <laughs> yeah. Epcot right now. Wow, what is going on? So that or, you know, there's character stops for the racers and what I experienced during my second dopey challenge during the marathon was people were trying to get in line for the character stops. Mm. And, like, the cast members had to be like, this is for the racers. No, like, so sorry, you can't take a picture oh, of Snow White. Because, like, this is – or they would try to let them in if there was, like, a break yeah. within the oh, runners. Nice. Okay. Which was nice. But it was one where, like, you definitely – people were like, I just want to take a picture of Snow White. And this girl comes running out of nowhere. And that was me just being like, ah, I need my <laughs> picture taken. Yeah, on, like, ah, I'm here. I'm so close. I'm still, like, a mile to go. Um, so close to my 
uh, margarita in Mexico. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the other thing. I, I've run enough races now that I want to. The the last Dublin mar- the last marathon I did a year I think so was the Dublin marathon last mm-hmm. year with my dad, and like your dad's story, he was just getting a bit sore and a bit old. He's fifty four, I believe, and he's in good condition, all things considered. But he didn't enjoy the long runs anymore in training. He lives in a very small village in Ireland, and it was very much on his own. And he was just it was the the niggles he was getting after long runs weren't worth it. And he said, "Okay, I'll run half marathons. I'm going to keep running, but I'm not doing a full anymore." And understandable. So his last Dublin marathon, it was the fortieth anniversary of the Dublin marathon, so it was a big event around that. And little did we know that it was going to be the last normal marathon for a while. Um, but it was going to be his last one, his hometown race. All the family would come out, he'd sign off. I'm going to run it with him. It was going to be brilliant. And neither of us were like perfectly trained. We were in good shape and we knew we could do it because we'd done enough before that to just suffer through. Yeah. Um, but he'd had some niggles of like two or three weeks before the race. He had some calf issue, a muscle problem, but he kind of like relaxed it. And then the week before, he did a couple of short runs and everything seemed fine. So, okay, great. On the day, here we go. And we were very much of the mind, especially with a race like Dublin. I would guess the Disney ones certainly are the same, but a lot of certain cities, not Amsterdam, keenly would be like fun marathons. Yeah. The whole city comes out, it's a community atmosphere. Growing up in Dublin, you knew about the marathon anyway. I had no running history, but I, the Dublin Marathon was just a thing that everybody did on the day. Boston Marathon. For, yeah. Everyone yeah. knows that Monday, no matter what, you know what the Boston Marathon the is. The whole yeah. neighborhood comes out. The kids have set up tables, and they're giving yeah. you sweets and fruit and everything. It's really nice. So Dad was going to soak up that whole thing one last time. And he, we, we did, but about 10K in, something snapped in his calf. Mm. Maybe not snapped, we don't entirely know, but something went wrong. He had a, a leg problem and suddenly he couldn't run much anymore. So we would walk a bit, run a bit, and it was just so sore after two minutes, he'd have to just take a walk break. And I said, all right, well, let's just get to the med, med tent, get to some medical expert and see what, what the deal is. Because at the time, it was so early in the race, we thought, oh, well, this is not good. Um, but then for some reason there was just no medical personnel for ages and we just kept going and there was no one around and the time the next time we did come to a med tent this was very much run walk probably more walk run but um, we got to a med tent and they were tending to somebody in there and that somebody was clearly in a trouble like there was they politely told us like just not now like, leave us alone we're, we're busy with an emergency okay we can move on from that um, but we just kept going and about 12-15k in the marathon is 42k so we're not even well maybe a third of the way through um, people we would stop and take a walk break because dad had to we did more walking than running and then people would start cheering and trying to do the best they can yeah. and be the most lovely supportive people come on you can do it don't stop now just keep running and typically that would have been really useful to me because maybe I'm tired I'll take a walk break but then I'm not really I'm just going easy on myself when yeah. this crowd pick you up and cheer you on but in this case it was no we do genuinely like this is an injury we need to nurse it and and the first few people you have sympathy you explain it but then the hundredth time this happens and you're like, no we're... so my dad did finish the race for most of the time it didn't look like he would it was just so early he was so injured he told me to go ahead of him and I thought no this is our last marathon together yeah. Probably, I, I think probably, but he says definitely, we'll see. 
I'm not leaving him behind, even if it's a slow one, fine. And eventually we, we made our way around, but yeah, you got some... Didn't you still run like a 4.30? Um, no, this was closer to a 5, I think. Oh, okay. So I, I, I just I... remember your time being like, that's not slow. I was like, I can show you slow marathons. Yeah, yeah, done. yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh... But yes, I know how, I also know how difficult that is because I ran... Paris last year and nice. I did the run walk method and so I had on my watch that I would run for four minutes and I'd walk for a minute and the same thing spectators would see me start walking and they'd be like run 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 I want to be like I'm doing run walk like please leave me alone like <laughs> yeah. I'm doing this for a reason or this is my I do a lot of like tweeting and texting while the while racing mm -hmm. And so people would see me like taking a walk break, but I was like coordinating with my wife to be like, where am I going to see you next? Yeah. And those are things that not everyone knows, which is, which is also fine. That, that is athletic performance. You don't, they don't know it, but you texting your wife to meet you at a certain place is part of the plan to make you run a better race. Right. Which to someone on the outside, she's just on her phone. Why yeah. she? But if, if anyone sees Danny at a race, you might be in costume. You, she's probably taking a <laughs> selfie or... Is stopping to to um, get a photo with a Disney character. It's I, I one of the reasons I warmed to Danny's way of mentality towards <laughs> running. It's just it's about fun. It's not I I don't know because I'm thirty and you know, relatively young and healthy and I think if I put my mind to it I could be a much better runner. Mm -hmm. But that's not fun. I don't want to be right. a much better runner. I want to have fun. I run for meditative reasons for mental health reasons and most of the time just to be out and about nice and quiet healthy active out in nature and then on race day or with group runs i like to hang out with my friends and i like to have fun and document the, the process and just enjoy the day and if i'm pushing my limits that's not my that's not my definition of fun so i've, I've warmed to your Thank outlook you. in that way not many people have no it's it's <laughs> very interesting where I always want to express to people that like I appreciate how anyone gets active and what motivates that person to be active yeah. because I also so I ran that first marathon in 2006 and I did stop running for five years oh. I said I'm not doing this anymore and I stopped doing it I said no I'm good Everyone says they're never going to do this again. And I, I did. I was like, this is not <laughs> happening. Like, I had ice on my knees when we went to dinner afterwards. And I was like, this is, I'm done with this. This is stupid. Wow. So I had a back injury and then back surgery in 2011. And during that time, my wife, who was my wife at the time? Yes. I forget when the timeline of when we got married. Um, she started running when I was recovering from back surgery. So and she so, sees you miserable and injured. This is this looks fun. She's like, I'm going to start running. <laughs> and so I said, well, then I'm going to start running uh, again. And part of it also was that my surgeon said, you're never going to run again. And I was like, ooh, now I feel like it's a test. I hear that way too often. Doctors are so casual about throwing that phrase well, out. Well, what's interesting is, so I was lucky enough that I was working for the Chicago Cubs at the, at the time, which is a Major League Baseball team. Mm. So their team surgeon did my back surgery. Wow. So okay. I trusted him because he worked on million-dollar athletes. Sure. like And then me. <laughs> So when he said, like, I don't think, and the, part of the reason was where my herniated disc was, it caused sciatica down my leg, and I didn't get full strength back in my left leg. So he said, I just don't think you're going to be able to keep up the rhythm of running because I don't think you have enough strength back in your oh, leg. Wow. So okay. I understand what where he was going, but I kind of took it as the personal challenge, and then my wife was running, so I was like, 
okay, now I'm going to be extra competitive. So I started running again in, it was June, 2011. And I ran a half marathon, August, 2011, which was the rock and roll Chicago. So I had back surgery in January, 2011, and then did my first, well, my second half ever in August, 2011. So it was seven months later. But I... Did it go better than your first half? It did. I ran a, yeah. like a 215. Wow. So I was like, wow, I already PR'd. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> so it happens when you also train you properly. Levels. Yeah. Definitely wasn't. I was like in the middle of the pack somewhere. And that sparked this whole running thing again. And so I always say whenever she's like, we're traveling for another race, I'm like, this is all your fault. You started <laughs> running. You started this whole situation. So you're very much the runner. Like, your, your wife is athletic. She does hockey and has run a lot in, in the past. But she does. She's done nine half marathons. That's, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. You can't do that and not be a good runner. Uh, but the thing I started talking about the Dublin Marathon was your Margarita Disney story. Yes. I, halfway through telling my dad's injury, I was going somewhere with this. And I remember because... That was my cue. Well, Dad can't run the whole marathon. He has to take walk breaks. We're in the middle of Dublin. When in Rome, do you mind just go get a pint or something? And I thought, we're, we we were doing pretty well up to that point, and we kept a decent pace. So we were definitely in the middle somewhere. We weren't near the back, and you know where they were cleaning up or anything. Not not at this stage. And I kind of you know suggested, or at least go to a supermarket and get a a, a drink or. Like, just step away from the race for a second. Yeah. And I'd, I've become so... My my culture of running has become so in the realm of... Let's have a pint here in the marathon. That, that's my... They're the people I want to be with in the running sphere these days rather than the elite athletes or the competitors. I have a lot of respect for them. But my dad is pretty cool. I thought I could have gotten to do it as well, but he, he didn't. He was... <laughs> too focused on his goals and we, we had plenty of celebrating that evening but during the race he didn't uh, didn't succumb to any drinks unfortunately it's it is very interesting recently i've gotten into it with one of my colleagues at work mm. who does not understand the whole idea of like drinking during a race and so i was trying to explain to him that like it doesn't have to be <laughs> about to performance <laughs> and like it's okay if that's how i decide to enjoy running but usually the people that tend to have the negative thoughts about that either are like super competitive, which is also fine. Like yeah. Everyone should attack a race however they want, or they've never done it before. Like they've never done a marathon or they've never done a race. So then they have like no real concept of like what goes through your mind during those. But like I did the rock and roll Vegas half marathon where you're running on the Vegas strip. And we stopped in and had a few beer stops along the way. (laughs) And it was like, when in Vegas? Like, of course we're going to do this. Like, yes, I am currently in a race walking, enjoying a Corona, like while I'm walking down. And we literally were passed by the marathon winner came by. And we were like, absolutely, go you. Like, (laughs) you kick ass. Yeah, we were like, cheers to you. But like, we were able to experience our race and they were able to experience theirs. And like, that's what I think is different also about running like in the u.s that i've experienced compared to running in certain parts of europe where race cutoffs are a lot shorter in europe in europe so the paris the technically the paris cutoff for the marathon is five and a half hours wow dublin is six and so that's i mean and then i think back to my first marathon where i was six at the end but i think about a ton of other races in the u.s where like i have friends that finish in eight hours and it's like why can't they experience? Yeah. But this is probably why 
people necessarily maybe don't start running in certain parts of the world because it doesn't seem like they're included. And I was like, I just want everyone to be included and to be able to experience Mm. this and experience the race, how they want to experience it, whether that be like trying to PR because I've been in those instances, or if they want to kick back, enjoy the scenes, like take a selfie. Like no one should judge you for that during a race. Or if you want to dress up, like that's cool. Like doing rock and roll Liverpool. Like I didn't expect it to be so much kind of like the U.S. races where, like, everyone was, was dressed up. Like, oh, it was wow. super nice. chill. It was super fun. It was the... I love the costumes. Some it was the, the weekend of um, Harry and Meghan's wedding. Okay. So the 5K was, like, wedding-themed. So, like, people stuff. were dressed up as royals. And, like, <laughs> that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I do feel like I'm either back in the U.S. or, like, in Disney. Because nice. there were a lot of people there that were also Disney runners because oh, cool. U.K. is close enough that yeah, it's, like, yeah. easy to fly over. So it wasn't just like... And you'd recognize all the gear, of course. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Especially like once you see like one Disney race shirt, you're like, hey, I know that race. Yeah. But, you know, when I ran the Amsterdam half, I was wearing like my sparkle skirt like I normally do. And I just felt like there were more eyes on me of like, what is this chick doing? Like, why is she wearing this sparkle <laughs> yeah. skirt like in the race? And But that's also like every place is different and everyone takes races differently. But I just... My whole like thing is just I want everyone to feel accepted right. in the, the race community, in running community. Yeah. The difference between American and U.S. races is so fascinating to me. American and U.S. culture in general I find really interesting because I'm European, Irish, born and raised. But we're born and raised, as we were talking about earlier, watching Friends, watching right. The Office, um, which is very small sample size. Uh, of what U.S. life is like, but yeah. we see all the movies and TV shows. We know about Starbucks, and we know Americans call it a trash can, and I call it a rubbish bin, that kind of thing. So you have some sort of relate, relate, relatability, is that a word? To relatability. Uh, relatability to American culture. But it's, I, always, I was always fascinated with the American view of Europe as well, because they would just say, I went to Europe this summer <laughs> on, on vacation, and... <laughs> Did you go to Poland? Did you go to Spain? Yeah. It's all so different. But then later you realize, well, inside the landmass in America and Europe are not, you know, they're both huge. And we've decided to make them countries in America. They made them states, really. That, like they, America has all the same language, but the cultural diversity, the the, um, the food, the, the, the mentality, the, the, the dress sense, everything between Boston and, I don't know, Asheville or Seattle or LA is the variety is huge between all of them mm-hmm. so I, I do want to continue but I need to pee and I think it's time for another beer so so the, the shirt I'm wearing now is Urban South Brewery in New Orleans I went there with my friend when we were visiting after I ran the Rock and Roll Half Marathon mm-hmm. so again we did a sports thing afterwards his football team his soccer team were playing kind of just as the race finished they were starting, and it was a big game, so he wanted to go go to a bar and find it, and there was this Irish pub, Flanagan's, Flaherty's, something with an F, of course. was playing in, <laughs> in New Orleans, and it wasn't that far from the finish line, so we we got there. We got there at halftime, and his team were four, losing 4-0, so it was, <laughs> it was a disaster, and he supports Chelsea, if anybody knows. <laughs> Chelsea, nobody likes Chelsea, so they were losing, it's all good by me. We had a great time there, but then we went to the... Urban South Brewery afterwards, um, they were having a crawfish boil that day. And Sam, my friend who was with me on the trip, there's this famous New Orleans 
Simpsons clip where Homer is talking to Lisa and he dreams about all the, the New Orleans foods he's going to have. And he lists about 20, 30 foods in two minutes. And I'd never heard of most of them. I knew about gumbo and jambalaya and I'd learned about po'boys, these famous like Cajun foods, but there's so many more. And Salmon kind of made it his mission to hit every single thing on this list that Homer talks about. One of them was crawfish, and this brewery, which we had seen before, was having a crawfish boil. Just this giant pot, these two guys were stirring it in a big, it looked like prison style, you know, these big, massive containers of cooking food. I didn't have any crawfish, but it was cool. We got some beers, he got a big plate of this, and whatever way he was eating it was so offensive to the locals at the next table. They felt they had to come over and educate him on how to do it there's a method like you suck you twist whatever there was some phrase they said that was the way to do it but we just got talking to the locals then and we spent the whole evening with them getting drunk and it was probably the best that trip to new orleans was so good but this was one of the highlights for sure we just met these locals who were so cool i've talked about it i had a whole new orleans podcast that i went through all these stories it was a great time but the brewery was so chill and open and like such variety you go to a brewery here it's 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 as it sounds it's a brewery that's where they make the beer then there might be a bar there there might be some visitor area but that's secondary to the whole thing whereas in the urban south they had pool tables they had arcade games there were families there you it was just so open and a social hub for everybody which i really love you don't get that over here yeah we actually experienced that in september we were off work for my birthday because we should have been uh in disneyland paris for a race but obviously it didn't happen there were a lot of should have so yeah a lot of should have so um but we were here instead so we were just like out and about and so my wife had looked up like a brewery because that's what we do enjoy is like going and sitting out or like playing some games or something Mm. because that's what we are used to from ones in the boston area and we found a brewery in amsterdam and we showed up and it was actually, yeah, just the brewery. Like, there was not, literally nothing more. Which one was it? Uh, two chefs, two... Oh, two chefs brewery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were, like, we showed up and we were like, oh. They're one so of the more hipster ones. Do anything. There's no, like, picnic tables. There's, like, nothing around. And that was the same thing where I was just kind of like, oh, it's not the same experience necessarily. Um, because, yeah, we, in uh, in Somerville, as I said, was which is right next to Boston, we probably had at least six or seven breweries within a mile radius, like of our house, like they definitely popped up and I was part of a couple, uh, brewery running clubs while I was there. Um, and it was a much different experience because we would like meet up with friends and their kids and go together and play like cornhole or like play board games if that's what they had there. So Mm. it is a different, I mean, I feel like Yopin here had board games. They got rid of them. Did they? Yeah, when oh. we went the last time, the wall of board games were gone. Was that with the the group from? Yeah, the, yeah. So I don't know if they like moved them or maybe they decided to, but they used to have board games there. But it's still kind of that same experience where like they're more of like a restaurant, yeah, plus brewery. Whereas yeah, it's many places in the U.S. It's kind of just like yeah, you can go and like sit at picnic tables and there's going to be a food truck there. Um, so but I- it does kind of depend on where in the country. I found a couple here that were decent. The Oedipus, Oedipus, I don't know how you pronounce we it. We have not gone there yet. The That's Oedipus nice. one, we Oedipus. want to, yeah. Yeah, 
That again, it was. It's mostly just a brewery, and there's a bar, and there's just some tables and chairs. Mm. It's fairly casual, but they do have a food corner, it's like a, a kitchen there as well, so you can get some hot food. And it just seemed like a cool hangout spot in the north. And the reason I went there was because there were two breweries side by side. Valhalla is the other one. Valhalla um, is like two minutes away from Oedipus Brewery by by foot. But I just had such a nice time there with my friend that we didn't leave after a while. We mm. just got another round and then another round and then it was getting late. So I do have to check out Valhalla again, but Oedipus was one of the better ones mm. for sure. That's but for the Alcha, the Alcha Brewery here in Harlem, so Harlem has Yopin and Alcha, and Alcha is my preferred one. They're, they're, both, they're both nice. They both brew good beers. I'm drinking an Alcha one out of a Yopin glass. <laughs> As we speak, you're drinking a Yopin beer, so I do approve. Yeah. But Alcha have recently just shut down their bar, the, the tap room that was in the brewery, unfortunately, because they, they said they were just so... The demand has skyrocketed, especially during lockdown. I met one of the guys recently by chance, and it was great, a great evening we had. But he told me, like, yeah, Corona's been great for us because everybody's they've, they've changed their business model a little mm. bit. They're doing the drive-through and different things. And everybody wants to support local, so they've apparently done really well out of this year. At least somebody has. That's good. But unfortunately, they have closed their bar and bottle shop now to make space for brewing stuff just to get physical equipment in so they can meet the demand for shipment and all that stuff and I, I i've only been there like two three four times maybe once with, with you and tori and it's just a it's it's something else to drink a beer at source you know where it comes from fresh from the tap and it's there's a nice atmosphere the people there are really cool yeah i always find the staff are great and the, the customers as well the clientele you talk to are really nice in craft beer places so i do like that brewery culture and i hope it comes here a bit more but uh yeah i haven't seen it that much yet yeah i don't i mean we'll all wonder what is going to happen i was, was going to mention sure. corona because everything has changed but yeah. i don't know it'll get back to normal at some stage but i don't know who knows i mean it just it it will be very interesting to see what happens for races in the future because yeah. you just never know if they are going to go back to the way they were before and like because i was supposed to run Tokyo this year and it got to def- it got canceled. And now they want to do 2021 in October. Normally Tokyo's in March. Oh. Um but they're going to decide in January whether they even so do it in 2021. Already potentially postponing. Mhm. That's mad because I remember that when this first came around, it was February when it was starting to become a thing, especially in my line of work in aviation. Um and people were asking each other, well, what, do you, what do you think of what's, what's, how is it going to be for you? And I remember telling people, oh, my plans are in May. It'll be fine by then. And I genuinely thought so. I, I had a festival in Berlin, but it wasn't a big one, so it's going to be okay. And I had an ultra marathon in Malta. And the, oh, that's outdoors. That's only about 100 people. It'll be fine. Both were canceled. The, the festival was canceled outright. The ultra is going ahead in October. You can either defer to October or it's next year. And I defer to next year, and it's going ahead. I don't know if it'll happen, but I, even if it did, I, I don't. I'm, I'm certainly not trained for it, but I'm also just not comfortable yeah. participating in anything, anything like that now. That's the same with the Tokyo or the Japan, Japan Olympics. The Tokyo Olympics were supposed to be this year. Mm-hmm. They deferred to like crazy levels of like, leaving it to the last minute to finally admit, okay, we can't do it this year. We're going to do it in 2021. Still calling it Tokyo 2020 because they had all the merchandise. I don't know. 
Well, they want to give us our 2020 medal. Yeah. When you finish next year. They said they were like, you'll get your medal at the next finish line. And I was so like, they, I don't want it. I is don't that just it. a financial decision or are they like, what, what do you think that's about? Well, I mean, no one's going to go. So that, I mean, that's part of the problem is that they, I mean, I don't know why they didn't just mail the medals out, um, which is what a lot of other, I mean, they sent us everything else. So they sent me everything else I should have gotten, like the finishers cape thing, this towel thing that they sent, like from the the 5k race and the marathon, they sent everything. And that probably cost like 150 euros, like mailing it from Japan. They could have just put the medal in and then I would have like maybe done my own virtual or something. But either way, I'm like, are they going to remember if I defer to 2022 that I never got my 2020 medal? Yeah. Like who, and also like, I don't really need it. This seems like such of that Japanese honor system. Where but like, they also have done a shit job yeah. of telling people information. Like I thought we were going to find out in September about next year. Mm-hmm. And then it was only because I happened to go onto their website that I found out that they said, oh, no, we're not going to tell you what's going to happen for next year until January. They never emailed us. They still haven't emailed the race participants. You had to check it out. It was just on the site. I was like, oh, that was three weeks ago that they actually posted something that could have been helpful for us to have. I mean, I found out that the race was canceled by the New York Times. Oh, I hate that. And then I got an email days later. Yeah. As an actual participant, compared to like London, who's been really good at at least like telling okay. you what's happening. I wanted to know if you considered it good or not, because they really delayed to the last minute before cancelling. They did, they but they've been informed. really, they've been very good about information. Yeah. Like, this is what we're thinking. This is what we're waiting to hear from. We're waiting to hear from this city official, this government official. Yeah. So they at least kept everyone in the loop and saying, like, you'll have, like, we could have deferred ages ago. And I kept thinking, it's a 45 minute flight. Like I'm fine going in October. Mm-hmm. And then when they decided to cancel, I was like, that's absolutely fine. We can do the virtual version. I remember reading one of the press releases from the London Marathon and it was so local politics. Like yeah. this man has talked to this individual about th- this city council have blocked it for this reason. And it was so like specific. And on the one hand, I thought, Okay, great. Like this was about two weeks before they cancelled it, before they admitted it. It's not going ahead in the normal way, and it, it felt like the, the the work emails I get because we our CEO is really good about keeping us informed about the the, the inner politics of it all. So yeah. we get this weekly email, and it's a lot of important stuff. But then there's a lot of our deputy financial supervisor of marketing has stepped down. We thank her for a service. I don't care, but it's nice because we're we feel included. I got a lot of that London vibe. Yeah, and I I was kind of okay with that. I think because in comparison to the lack of information (laughs) from Tokyo, I was like, well, at least they're telling me what's going on and like that they will give another deadline of when they're going to reach out. Whereas like Tokyo is like very hit or miss of like what was coming in in ways of communication. The difference in marathon majors. Yeah, and that's where it was like, these are both world majors. That's very interesting. Um, I will say that London was actually very good. So I'm a charity runner for London and they are still guaranteeing us spots in the future. Nice. Whereas Boston did not do that for their charity runners Boston seemed pretty in the ruthless. future. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely appreciate the way that London's handling this um, as someone that is a charity runner that I will no matter what get a spot in a future. Nice. Um, 
but it's basically the the charity gets a certain number of spots in 21, 22, and 23. Okay. And the charity for my charity will decide which year you get into. So I'm kind of like, I don't care yeah, which you'll year. You'll do either one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, nice. I just am three stars in. I have three stars to go. I what will do it whenever you what need. What does that mean? So it's for the world major. So there's six world majors. And so there's only like 7,500 people that have finished all six world majors. In history. Yeah. And wow. you get a special medal. Yeah. To be an Abbott six-star finisher. And so I'm halfway through. So it's Tokyo, London, Boston. New York, Chicago, Berlin. New York, Chicago, Berlin. Yep. Been in, I blanked on the rest. So I've done Boston, Chicago, Berlin. I have entry into a future Tokyo. Mm. I have entry into a future London. And then I just need to get into New York. So London doesn't count? No, they will only count the physical Right. Which I under I, I understand. Yeah. I'm yeah. I mean part of me is like, come on, but I also understand that like so, I uh, wanna run the physical one and have it the, like the real thing. Yeah. I've heard so many good things about the London one. And that's just proximity as well. Yeah. I mean I had an amazing time spectating and that's why I was like I came home from that and was like, I have to run this race. Like yeah. this was fantastic. As we mentioned about Boston and Dublin, it seemed like London British people in general it's a bit of chaos at the moment there, but the people on the streets, they don't take themselves seriously. They know how to have a good time. Yeah. And it seems like everybody comes out for the London Marathon. Costumes, like unofficial aid stations. It just sounds like a great race to do. Oh, yeah. And like the amount of people going for like Guinness World Records there, mm. like the guy that was dressed as Big Ben that like couldn't <laughs> fit under the finish line. You're just like, this is amazing. And like those are also parts of running that some people just like don't get and are like, why would you dress up in a costume? And I'm like, how not? Fun? Like, that's so fun. And the guy yeah. was like raising money for charity. Like the people that dress as like the um, rhinoceroses that are also like raising money. There was like six of them. Like oh. that was like fantastic like one to rhino see. rhino with six people? No, it was six different six rhinos, rhinos that you saw. Okay. Um, but see, the, what they were doing like that was just such a cool experience. And it's like, you don't have to just run for time. You can like no. just go out and like have freaking fun. <laughs> one of the Dublin marathons I did, there was a guy running as the Eiffel Tower. And he had a fall. Like, it was an uncomfortable, awkward, big thing. Like, I passed him early on, and he was going slow. So you can yeah. see it wasn't a great thing. But the costume was incredible. And I think this, I, I searched him up later. This guy had run countless marathons mm. all across the world with this costume. It's his thing. So I'm sure if you Google Paris uh, Eiffel Tower marathon costume, you'll find this guy. Incredible. And like you said, there are bridges. There are narrow spots. There, It's not... A good idea athletically to run in this, but that's one of the highlights of my race day, and oh, yeah. he got attention from everybody. When you're running past a costume, or um, if someone's pushing a wheelchair, running with a blind runner, anything different, and in the most wonderful ways, you're invisible. Like the whole, everyone in the crowd is cheering, and I soaked up all of that cheering, but it's all for that guy because he's supporting a blind runner. Or, and I'm usually cheering with, like right next to them. I'm yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. like, like that's amazing. With the, with the Eiffel Tower, that's incredible. Yeah, but. Um, so you did run the London Marathon this year, kind of. I, I want to talk about that because that was a great day, but you were running for charity. That's how you got into the London Marathon. So yes. do you want to talk about the charity? Give them a shout out. What's the deal with that? Yeah. So I have actually run for the Stroke Association um, since 2013. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., I was part of Teddy's team. Um, so Teddy Bruski was an NFL player who had a stroke oh. uh, in 2005 and then actually came back to return to the NFL oh. after his stroke. Um, and so he started Teddy's team. Um, so I've it was a charity. For Teddy's team, but I didn't know the story. Yeah, yeah. No. So that's why. So I um, applied to join Teddy's team for the 2013 Boston Marathon. 
in honor of my grandparents. So my grandfather was the first person I knew to have a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my grandmother had many strokes. Um, then my father-in-law also had a stroke. Wow. Um, and then I met people through the team. And also uh, some of my other friends are stroke survivors. So it's something that is close to my heart and impacted many people that I love. Um, So it's also something that a lot of people don't necessarily know the warning signs of. So that's why it's good to to talk about it more. Um, And so I joined Teddy's team um, before the 2013 Boston Marathon. And so I ran four Bostons uh, with Teddy's team. Uh, raising a little over $36,000 through those four years. Um, And then when I moved to Europe, um, I ran Berlin for the Stroke Association, which is actually out of the UK. Um, And then I applied to run London also for the Stroke Association. Um, And I got in, yeah. So I had um, applied for London on my own a few times, and I actually applied through charity a few times as well and hadn't gotten in. It's a lottery, London, as a standard run? London is a lottery, and then for any charity events, you are charity teams, you always have to apply. So you have to write up your application. So at first you contact the Stroke Association to say, I want to run for you, and then go to the marathon people? You do both. That's yeah, so I applied. Right. Yep, so I applied as a free person, did not get in. Um, but at the same time, I also applied for a charity spot. Oh, you can head so, to yeah, yeah, so charities, but also you obviously are on the hook for X amount of dollars. So in the U.S., like for Boston, it's either five grand or ten grand. And if you don't raise that money, then you pay for it out of pocket. Yeah, that was remarkable to make the to difference. Me. I couldn't um, believe that when I heard it first. Yeah, so it's something that Boston, is like. Huh? That's why I also, I mean, the same thing with London. Like, so if I didn't make my fundraising goal, like you pay the rest out of pocket. Wow. Which is why I also always pick charities to apply for that I obviously am fully invested in (laughs) and want to support. So that's also like a big part of the training that people don't realize when you're a charity runner is that you're training for this race, but you also have a side job of being a fundraiser. And probably you're you're in full-time employment with whatever you've got going on in your own (laughs) life. And then you've got all your, you know, your social life, you have the rest, you've got everything going on on top of full-time marathon training, which can take up towards the end when it really ramps up, can take up a lot of your time. And then on top of that, you're online, you're in reality, you're fundraising for this charity and busy schedule it is it's a a lot it's a lot i've never done that approach yet and it's mm, committed i mean it's definitely like uh london has lower fundraising amounts but no matter what the amount is i'm obviously going to continue fundraising like i don't just like get to that amount and stop because i want to continue to raise awareness and it is a cause that i that is near and dear to my heart so i was bummed when london got canceled but then they said we're going to have this virtual version. Like you can sign up for this. So I think it was like 20 pounds. And if you're international, which we are, cause we don't live in the UK, you had to pay an extra five pounds to like send the medal over. And I was like, yes, please like take yeah, my money. I'm fine. fine. Five pounds is six fifty seven euros. Right yeah. There. I was like, so you don't have to pay for it. Like I'm, I'm fine paying that. So once I decided to do that, I was like, okay, like I need to come up with a good game plan of like yeah. how I'm going to run a marathon in Amsterdam. So, um, spoiler alert, Danny has run the London Marathon. You've, you've done it officially. You crossed the finish line. You got the medal. You have you came here with the jacket today. I was a small part of that whole thing. It was just a wonderful day. So, at what point do you go from corona, headache, everything's ruined 2020 to 
crossing the finish line. Where, where do you go? Tell yeah. us that story. Yeah, I mean, I so what was very interesting is when Corona first started, way back when, seven months ago. Good old days. I had probably just finished my 32K 20-mile long run for Tokyo. Oh, yeah. And, like, days later was when it all started crumbling down of, like, this is not going to happen anymore. Like, things are now, like, greatly it impacted. Fast. It happened fast. Yeah. And I basically was like, well, I don't want to run anymore. Like, why <laughs> did I just bother running? Really? And, again, I had a great run. I ran with my friend Antoinette. We were in the dunes of Amsterdam. Like, we had a great time, but yeah. I was just like – well, F this, like, I don't want to run anymore. So I just stopped yeah. running. I was you like, why, why bother? Like, why bother running anymore? So starting the 1st of April, some of my friends from college were like, oh, we're feeling in a rut. Like, we want to start, like, working out. Like, let's do this, like, accountability group together. Okay. Nice. So I said, okay, like, what I'm going to do is instead of a workout streak, which I kind of already had, I was like, let me start a running streak again. I had done a running streak years ago. And I said, let me try it again. So I said, I'm going to run every day in April. And so I started that and I was like, this is great. Like, I don't have a treadmill inside anymore. So it got me outside when we're all working from home and just living in front of a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I just, let me just go out for 20 minutes a day. And so it got me out the door, which was great. And little by little, I started being like, I love running again. Mm -hmm. Like this is, and as I'm starting that, that's also when I was like, okay, London got moved to October. That's okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to soak up running whatever distance I want for the month of April. And in May, I'll start training again for London. So I started my training again. I got myself up a little plan really was, I just want to run a certain long distance on the weekend. Yeah. And so that was great to have like friends come in. Cause again, interacting during Corona, it was very limited with you know, a certain person here or there. So it was, it was nice to get some semblance of, um, uh, of a routine where at least every Sunday I was going to go do a long run. So I got back into that running felt good again. I was looking forward to October. We booked our hotel, you know, things are looking good. (laughs) I'm fundraising along the way. This is the early days when when I'm making plans for May and it will all be fine. And exactly. October's ages away. Yeah, I'm so like, oh, everything will be over. fixed for October. Yeah. And then you're thinking to yourself, okay, if they limit the field, I'm still just a 45-minute flight away. So, like, maybe they'll let me run. Maybe they won't let the people from the U.S. run. But maybe yeah. they'll let me come over from a different part of Europe. And, like, maybe that'll be okay. So, that's, so like, still. So, I was general. optimistic. Yeah. I was like, this is going to happen. Fundraising's going well. Training's going well. And then they said it's not happening, mm. but you can do the virtual version. And I was like, I have put a lot into this training um, and I felt really fit this year. I was really focusing on health and wellness. And I was like, I really want to just run this marathon. Mm. And people were like, yeah, we'll come out and join you like yourself. Like we'll come out and, and do a little bit with you. And I was like, we can actually make like a fun day of this. And it's the 40th running of London. So like no matter what, there isn't going to be another 40th running. Yeah, <laughs> Even if this is year. like with an asterisk and it's unique, you were going to get an official race time in the listing no matter where you ran. And I did buy the jacket because I was like, this is going to be another monumental experience mm. that like I want to have some representation of. And it's a very nice jacket too. Like, it is. It, it's stylish. It looks And good. I like race jackets. I always buy the Boston wow. jacket. When, I just yeah. Berlin jacket. Like it's just something that always reminds me 
of the experience and it takes me back to the race. It's a thing for sure. Yeah. So I was super excited when people were like, yeah, let's, I want to be a part of this. And my friend Heather was like, I'll pace you. And it was great to think this is going to be super unique. It's a way for people to come together outside and obviously telling people only come if you're feeling up to it. Um, And it was 10 minutes from my house. Perfect. It was a great, great now, thing. With, with Heather, the fact that you can have a friend who's using a marathon as a training run yes. for her ultra goals, who will be like, Heather is too humble, but she's an elite athlete and is willing to just join her friend to pace her through her marathon as a training run. Like, that's incredible. Not everybody has that, but I know we, we, we don't take it for granted at all. Like, yeah, it, no, it was it was amazing. And for anyone that said... You have to, to call upon to yeah. join you. And that's, that's the difference, too, is like, you know, what I was thinking before that day was I could run London with the fanfare and with running on the London Bridge and you're running through, but I would be running by myself. Mm-hmm. And I've run a number of races by myself. And yes, you're feeding on the experience, but it's not the same as running with friends. I always appreciate more the races I get to do when I'm with someone. Yeah because we're experiencing it together. And this was going to be an opportunity for me to experience something very special with the people that I love and that this community that we've created in the past three years of being here. So that also motivated me to be like, I just want to go out there and have fun. Like I don't care what the result was, but in the back of my mind, (laughs) I was like, I could maybe PR today. Like I'm feeling very good. I know that I have someone really smart that's going to be pacing me. I guess the, uh, what's the phrase? The, the heights, the altitude was probably a lot less in the bus than in London. I don't know. Is that true? I don't know. I actually thought about that. London's hilly, I assume. If it's like Dublin at all, there's just some hills involved. I don't think it's like as extreme as like Boston. No. But it, even I, Dublin, I mean, the, doing the half in Dublin, I was like, what is what is this monstrosity? <laughs> um, I feel no matter what, you're in the Netherlands. Like, yeah, that's it. It's, yeah, it's going to be a lot easier. Boston's a bit hilly. There's a bit of, there's some trails and some, some, yeah. some interesting things in there. There's a lot of mud as well on yeah. the day. That was the key yeah. thing. Um but yeah, I remember from, from my perspective, so we were friends from NP and just friends in general, and we, we have a running group, and we've, we've had Sunday runs together, which have been great for years now. Um, and then there was this event that I got invited to on Facebook, and you were, where there was chat in the WhatsApp groups, Danny's going to run the London Marathon. Like, okay, cool. I'm In theory, yes, I'm in, whatever that in, involves, and I didn't really know. I didn't look it up at the time. Then when it came closer to the day, I realized oh, the London Marathon's not going ahead. It's virtual. People are running their own thing. You have to download the app. Okay, cool. Danny's going to run it in Amsterdam to bus. Cool. I'll join in. I'll, I'm not in peak fitness at the moment myself, but I'll run when I can and we'll, we'll see what happens. Little did I know that there was a whole event plan. Like the, the 30 people maybe showed up 20 30 yeah. and it was all outdoors we were all kept at distance we all tried our best in that way but there was a marquee there was so much food and drink involved as much for the supporters as the athletes themselves and um some people were there just to cheer some people were running with you i i did 17 18 k i ran two laps with you in the whole thing heather ran the whole thing and you, i you had a big rotating cast of supporters and 
contributors and it was wonderful and i i said it to a few people on the day i don't know if i said it to you but i don't think anybody else in mp could get the crowd that you did yeah like it was just wonderful like danny you're not going to say it because you're too nice and humble but you are so lovely to run with and so fun and your priorities really align with mine and it's just such a happy nice day that why wouldn't you enjoy it because they're I, I, I don't have problems with anyone in NP, but some people are more focused on the athletic yeah. elite performance, and I don't really speak that kind of language, and it's fine, I'll do my best to support everybody, but this just was such a fun festival atmosphere to, to join you in your run. Like, I didn't see you for a long time in the beginning, I, I had just missed you when you started, I heard the cheer, and I was nearby, but oh, damn it, I missed her, okay. I was waiting around for about 30, 40 minutes with everybody, chatting, getting to know each other, meeting new people. And Mark and I said, oh, we're, we're going to meet her coming in to the aid station, to our like headquarters for the day. And um, there was some disagreement as to which direction you'd be coming in. Mark said, no, I'm pretty sure it's this way. Everybody else said, no, it's that <laughs> way. Uh, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm just It's raining. I'm kind of cold. I just want to go for a run. So Mark went the way he thought it was, which was wrong. And everybody told him it was wrong, but I'm like, fine, let's go for a run in the woods. And we caught you into your second lap. Yeah. And there was a girl. So I, I came across Danny. He was got her London Marathon bib on, and there's six, eight people running with her. Okay, I'm going to join this little um, group. And it was just, the whole day was so fun and hassle-free and just the, showing the best of everybody that it was... A really nice day and that that's from a random supporters perspective but it was a nice day and a fun day the weather was good it all went well and you PR'd like you just had a great race day at the same time yeah I mean I I don't use the term like best race day lightly mm. because I have had a lot of race days that mean special things to me for different reasons and yeah. I've been very honored to run the Boston Marathon with it as a charity runner and, and experience some very special and also catastrophes by you know having run in 2013 yeah. with the bombing so it runs the gamut but I am a hundred percent truthful when I say that that virtual London Marathon is my favorite race day oh. in the entire history because I never hit a wall. I never felt like I couldn't do it. Like the constant love and support on that day was just carried me through. Like I felt like I was flying. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to you have people come in and we had some bad weather. There was some, some rain that was like unnecessary. There's a little bit of rain, but and a little bit of mud, as we said, and we had to kind of tweak as we went, but it was great. I mean, I, I owe so much to Heather because we constantly communicated during the day of like, okay, you know what? We actually just fucked up and went the wrong way mm -hmm. when we had planned this out. And like, we did a test run the week before to like be ready and we fucked up then. Yep. And then we somehow fucked up again. And we were like, <laughs> how do we do? We like, we, we fixed it. Okay, so let's just add on some more now. It's all fine. So like having that constant also really helped because I was just like, we're just going to problem solve as we go. And that helped me feel ready on the day of because I get extremely anxious before races. Poor Tori. She's a saint for having to deal <laughs> sure. with my anxiety. That's, that's natural, yeah. But 
thinking about all I cared about was like, do we have the tent for the cheer zone? People have food, people have drinks, people have snacks. Everyone's going to be okay. Like, I'm just going to go run. And like, I just want to make sure that this party is like still happening in the you background. You said that on the second lap. So the first time I joined you was about 10K into your race, I think. Yeah. And I was chatting away and already I was impressed with the fact that you and Heather were you know, firing back and forth about pace, about routes, about all these different things that like you were in business mode. <laughs> and it was impressive. Like that first lap I did with you, 10K, it was great, but I was, Mark and I drifted off and I thought, they're going fast. Like this, <laughs> I hope it's not too fast, but I think it might be. And I'm a bit like, worried, a bit concerned. I didn't say anything because it was just a great day. But little did I realize, no, it wasn't too fast. That was just a great pace. Like, everything was working on the day. Yeah, we were just having, like, and, and that's why I just, like, deferred to Heather because I was, like, she knows what the game, like, we created this game plan that we were going to do two 10K loops to start or just roughly 10K to get us, like, halfway. And then I wanted to do a smaller loop for the last three because I felt like if people wanted to join, 10K is a lot to take on. Yep. If we kept it more to, like, a six or seven, it's more doable for people. For so I wanted well, more of those. Yeah. So I was, like, let's get let's knock out the two biggest one let's try to get halfway and then be able to enjoy the rest Very and so smart. that was one of the things where i was like i am always going to stop and eat i will stop and walk and snack i do not f around anymore after the first this marathon the eating disorder first thing right this when is... it comes to snacking now like i will stop and eat and i will fuel properly yeah and I will stop and pee in the woods if I have to. I don't care about pace yeah. um, in that regards. Like if I have to go to the bathroom, we're just doing it. So I knew that we were taking that into account when we looked at the overall pace. We would say, okay, we're a little bit fast now, but we know that I'm going to have to take a walk break pretty soon. And that's going to slow us back down. We're going to even out. And that's something that I never think about on my own. Because I also like rarely look at my watch that I'm usually just like, oh, this is a fun place to take a selfie. Let's do this. And like all of a sudden I'm done with a marathon. Like I, That's in the, that regards, the, the which dream. is great. Interior, yeah. So this was great because by the time we got to like the fourth or fifth lap, must have been the fourth lap, is when all of a sudden the weather was getting nicer. It started getting sunny. I was able to take up. my jacket off. And then the nice thing is they sent us two bibs. So I had one bib on my jacket and then I had one bib on my stroke association singlet that I was saving for the end. So I didn't have to carry it the whole time. So I wanted to kind of have that ready and that choice for when I needed to dry off a little bit. Um, and so that was nice to be able to change that up. And I honestly, like, I didn't hit that 20 mile or that 32K wall that I tend to usually hit in a race, which I usually always hit. I didn't in 2015 when I was running Boston with one of my best friends because we were chatting the whole way. We were in that same kind of groove. And it just shows how important the people around you are and how they can impact your race day. I do want to ask about the wall. Like, unrelated to this specific day we had for the London Marathon, which was wonderful, I... I'd known about the the wall in a marathon, the runner's block, whatever, before I ever started running. Yeah. It was it's in movies, it's in popular culture. I was scared of that coming up to my first marathon and didn't have it. Like there was no I so I was expecting this one thing, mile nineteen, kilometer thirty four, whatever, towards the end of a race where I would just stop. My body would shut down, my brain would say, No, we're not running anymore, we have hit the wall. And that didn't happen. And I, I didn't know if that was just me or if that's everybody. There were some hurdles. There were times when I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. I want to slow down. I want to stop. 
I or I would go to a a porta loo, a porta potty, go pee and just hide there for two minutes. And then, I don't have to run now. This is nice. But it was never a race ending catastrophe. Have you had the? Is that just is that just in my mind that big brick wall thing, or is that real? Have you had one moment where you've ended it, or is it more the way I've had it, where it's little struggles you have to get through during the race? I have definitely had ones where I wanted to stop and I've hit a wall. Mm. It hasn't happened so much actually on the marathon side as it has like in the Amsterdam half marathon. Like that was one where I was like, I'm ready to walk off this course. We didn't course. finish that story. That's like, true. but it was one where I was like, I'm just not enjoying this. Like, I could just like top off over here and like head home. I read your blog post. That was a tough day. It was, yeah. and it I wasn't in the right mental state. I just it it wasn't my day. So I think that there the wall is different for everyone, but I think usually it happens around the 20 mile mark in the marathon because that's usually everyone's longest training run. So once you get past that, it's all mental after that. Yeah. So then that's why part of your body is like, this is new territory for most people when you get over that mile 20 okay. marker. So for me, it does depend on the race and how I'm feeling. Because sometimes if it is really rainy and shitty out, yeah. like Berlin last year, like by the time I got to 35k I was just like I don't want to do this anymore and it wasn't that my body was giving out I was just like I'm wet and I just I just want to be done like these last 7k and I knew my wife's at the finish line already and I'm like how do I get there faster (laughs) and it was one where I was just like I just am tired sometimes you have that realization where I had it in a half marathon in a rural area near where I grew uh, where, where where my parents live in Ireland and I was just having a really bad day and it was not enjoyable. We were going to a family wedding that evening and we were running a half marathon in the morning, me and my dad. That's just what we do. Because um, why not? And we were on rural, rural, let me say this word rural. Right. rural roads. I have to say when I say brewery, something about that or in my mouth doesn't work well. Country roads. And my dad was flying, I was suffering and he was going a bit ahead. I said, slow down, slow down and didn't really happen and he looked at me and he said well what else are you going to do like we're in the middle of nowhere here there's nothing here you're halfway you can turn back and that's miserable or you can just finish it and in a city marathon you might have the same thing where obviously you're in a city you can stop anywhere but if you're running the race you 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 can stop but you can't not really yeah. and like the, you know the best the, the easiest way for everybody is to suffer through the pain or the mental anguish whatever is going on in your mind or your body just cross the finish line because yeah you could just quit there and then call Tori she'd meet you and it would all be fine but not not really not in the big picture whereas eventually you you overcome those mental blocks and just push through and that's where the struggle is as one of the marathon um, one of the famous sayings about a marathon is if it was easy everybody would do it we're already in that 1% of people who do this yeah. thing. So, yeah. That's- but I think that's when I also learned that, like, walking is okay. And, like, as long as I'm moving forward. Yeah. And usually that's the thing is, like, as long, even if I'm feeling, like, especially in, it was actually the 2013 Boston Marathon, like, I was having, like, this calf issue. And so I kept walking and then I'd stop and stretch it out and then I'd, like, keep going. And I was like, as long as I keep moving forward, 
I'm okay. One foot in front of the other. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so cliche, but it was like, this is literally the only way I'm going to keep moving because otherwise I will just sit down and start crying. The, and like, then I live here. Like, this is what's yeah. going to happen. It's Once you either, sit down, right. there's no getting up. Right. And so that's where it is mental. Um, and But it sometimes is like swallowing your own pride and being like, if I just walk this in, at least I'm finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that not everyone wants to do right it's either like i'm going to pr this or i'm just like done doing that and i was like that for a very little period of time um in 2012 where i was like i just want to pr every 5k i do and then Mm -hmm. i realized that like there's more to running than that my friend Um, so you can open the window now this is my friend (laughs) there's a neighbor's cat who comes in from time to time hey lucy i call her lucy i don't know her real name Um, please don't so this girl, you take whatever you want, by the way. Is oh, have a look at. Oh, that's a good one. So that's another hoppy IPA. And I came into the, I got that in the Alcha Bar first time. Came in looking for some sort of stout. It was one of those first real autumn days. And I wanted like a nice dark, yeah. wintry, colder day beer. So yeah, we have this and we have this, but this is fresh. Like we just brewed the HT. Do you want to try it? Oh, sure, I'll have a little sample. And from that little sip. Oh, okay. This is good. So good. So, so funny. this this girl, yeah, she she's got two colors in it. What's the second one? In it? You, know, I you want to go back out that way? I know you're like I smell your dog. But someday she comes in for like a cuddle and she will just cling onto you for yeah. ten minutes and wants some love and I'm happy to give it. And there's other days where she comes in, okay, nothing new here, bye, and like leaves instantly. But now there's something new for her. Right. This needs to be added to their website. Isn't, oh, you gotta, that was their fresh and fast about two weeks ago, I think. They've, they've got the Friends one now. Oh. It's brand new, and this was the previous one. And, oh, it's good. Oh, we, mm, just texted Tori, I'm like, next time we go, <laughs> this <laughs> you know one the, needs the to be. You know the Diggle have you had that? Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorites now, and I'm, ouch, I just can't go wrong. Um. But this one is like, a bit like Rock, uh, not Rock Show, what was it, Hop House 13, where it's mm-hmm. kind of like a standard beer. So I'll show you the after I pour it but it's like two hours bullshitting about craft beer and hipster ways and the other guy is like oh just give me a beer and this one's kind of like that where if I have to introduce somebody to like an IPA or something different mm-hmm. I'll just give them this one right so I don't I don't want to keep you forever we were talking about your London race mm-hmm. all the friends were there it was an impromptu wasn't exactly what you expected for London, but it was a nice setup of the day. It was kind of a festival atmosphere. That's how I felt about it. I'm glad I brought my speaker. I'm glad it was fully charged because it got used. There was so much food. Like everybody, everybody bought a little something. So you always had a running group with you. Mm-hmm. So from the supporters' point of view, there was like a field in the Amsterdam forest, which was there was a marquee set up. It was a bit rainy and a bit windy, but we had our shelter and it was you know wasn't too cold. We were all fine. There's tons of food and drinks out on stage, and everybody's keeping their, their distance. But I, I brought my Bluetooth speaker, which is pretty good, this one here, and I just Googled cheering station, I think, or on Spotify, I searched, like, Marathon something, and I found the Osaka cheering station. Like, the Osaka Marathon had a playlist. It was really good. Like, it had all the pop hits, all that stuff you you, you hear during the marathon day. I put that on, and everybody just had a good day. I would go out to join you a couple of runs here and there, but in between we were just catching up. We were having a good time. There were kids, or there was a kid with a Jack. Jack. Jack was the only one there, yeah. But it was just a nice vibe overall. 
And then suddenly, like, Danny's flying. And, like, this performance is going really well. You're up for a, a PR. Like, uh, on the second lap I joined you, which was your fourth, I believe. You did the two long ones and then three short ones, right? Yeah. So I joined you on the fourth one. You could feel tiredness was setting in a little bit, a little bit based on facial expressions. But that's only if you were looking. Like, you, it was still a great pace at that stage. And Heather was moving fat. well. She'd been running forever. You'd been running for so long. Yeah, she ran to the race. Yeah, so Heather, she didn't alter that day. Heather, you had done a, a, a you ran a marathon that yeah. day and a PR, like a super fast, really good marathon. Heather did that too, which is already good, and then ran to it and then ran home. Like the we saw her leave. Like she said goodbye to everybody. We gave her, you know, her cheers and support. And she, did she have a medal on the day as well? Yes. Yeah, and amazing. Like, completely well deserved. And she just okay, bye everybody, and just turned around and ran home. Like no, no big deal. It was it was amazing, and that was the kind of like energy and support that I really needed on that day. Like mm. she was just such a cool, calm, and collected person to have next to me and she did read a pacing article before the day before so i think that really set her over the edge she had oh, done her research She'd never been a pacer before no oh. so this was the first time and it was really one where we had been like texting about it beforehand that like again like i thought you know my fitness was was going well that like maybe i could pr that day but i didn't really want to put that pressure on myself because I knew that I just wanted to go out and enjoy a run with friends and I wanted everyone, no matter their pace, to feel like they could come jump in and run too. Because right. I didn't want people to be like, oh, you're going too fast. Like, I don't yeah. want to jump in. I'm like, I want to experience this with as many people as I can. But that, that vibe was clear like from before the race and you're in. Like, it was clear that you were, the priority was for a good day for everybody. Yeah. Shut that window again. Yeah. And then even, especially, like, when the rain was coming, I was just like, oh, I hope, like, the tent is going to hold up. And it didn't. (laughs) R.I.P. tent. Um, But I also was, like, similar to racing in an actual race. It was like, I'm moving constantly. The people cheering are not going anywhere. So I want to make sure that they're still having a good experience, too, because you guys are giving up your Sunday to, like, be here. And... I wasn't totally, I honestly wasn't really paying attention to my watch and my pace because we were constantly talking, which is what I love about racing and running with people is this is why I don't like running by myself. You would ask for talking points on Instagram the day before. Yeah. I (laughs) I was like, I just want, and also, yeah, because I was like, Heather and I need topics in case like no one, like, because in my mind, I'm like, no one could show up, which is also fine. But I was like, I need talking points if Heather and I are going to be out here for hours together. Like, what would you rathers can you do? Didn't prove to be a problem. Right. But all. just in case, because of course, in my mind, I'm like, no one's going to show up. And Tori's <laughs> like, people are going to show up. I'm like, just in case, because the weather's bad. But, you know, we were really lucky. And so I wasn't really paying attention. It wasn't until the last lap and we were within the last 5K that I also was like checking the app to make sure it was working. Because the number one thing was like, this app has to work. If it didn't, you could always submit your Garmin information. So they allowed you to have a secondary. But I was like, I just want it to all be official and I don't have to worry about my Garmin. Keep it easy. Keep it simple. Keep it easy. So thankfully, I finally took out my phone and realized that it was on pace with my Garmin. So I was like, okay, great. Because we were in the the forest. We're in the boss. Like... It's not the best place for reception. Nope. So I was I was thankful. I didn't know that until this day. Yeah. And so where we started was where we normally kayak from. Yeah. So I know that it 
isn't the best reception. So before we even started the race, I was trying to get reception at the start line as as Antoinette is counting down, like, okay, we're starting in 30 seconds. And I was like, but the, I need, and like Robbie and I are trying to get the signal and I'm like, what's going on? So I actually started the race like not ready because I was like, my phone, wow. the app. And that was why my app didn't match my Garmin because the app was all I cared about. So I started the Garmin and then focused on the app. Sure. So my Garmin ended up having like a couple minutes longer and I had to run a little bit longer to get the 42 too because I wasn't paying attention to the Garmin. Like everything I cared about was on that app. But I didn't realize I was like close to having a sub four until we were 5K from the finish. Wow. Because I was, I hadn't been paying attention. In a normal race, you could predict your pace and figure out what. I mean, you're that's all you're in. looking at. If I'm running yeah. by myself, that's all. That's all. That, I'm taking it all in, but I'm constantly aware of what my overall pace is. Whereas on this day, I wasn't, yeah. and I was making sure that every time we hit the cheer zone, I was refilling my water, having a snack if I needed to. I was like, I don't care if I have to stop because. The London app was like as if it was a real race, and it would just it just whatever your run pace was was what your overall time was going to be. So forgive my assumption, but this is one of the few races where you had your phone basically inaccessible at all times. Yes, in your bag, you couldn't touch it. I didn't, wow. so I, I opted not to. I said I don't want anything to happen to this app, <laughs> which is why Heather and others said like we'll take pictures because yes, I am known for taking pictures during a race or any run. Yeah. So me not having my phone near me was very weird. Did you feel that on the day? Did you notice it? I did because I normally run a race with my phone in my hand. Oh. Or like in my shorts. So it's always like very close to me. So I had put it in my bag because I just wanted, I didn't want anything to happen with the battery or I just, just like, this just has to run. One less distraction. One yeah. less, it's just, and luckily we have an amazing film producer yeah. uh, and director who was able to bring like a GoPro on that day. And so I knew that other people were going to be around me to be able to take photos that I like could take a step back. And with, with your NP friends, we're all pretty social media friends. Yeah. Like, you're with a safe group if you want to document the day. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I know it's different, but that was also kind of different from a race when I'm running by myself compared to compared to this. But yeah, so it wasn't until the last 5K that I realized that like I might go sub four. And that's when like, you know, Heather was trying to say like, okay, we need to like speed it up a little bit. Yeah. And that was when... My mind was still really good, especially because they had just been asking me, like, why do you run? So I started talking about my stroke survivors and my stroke heroes. And also, like, it's hard to run and cry at the same time. So I was, like, <laughs> starting to tear up, which is why I was this is late affecting in the race. my this breathing. Yeah, they were trying to, like, take me to focus on something it's else. big topic, yeah. So, yeah, so that was one where I was like... <clears throat> it's for uh, and that like <laughs> happens and it I always want to talk about it which is again another way to like kind of take my mind off of what was going on but it wasn't until that point when I realized that we were 5k from the finish that I started doing the math in my head oh nice of like this might happen yeah. it might get around four which is great and I hadn't been around four since like 2015 since the last time I was kind of like at this level of fitness. And so I was like, that'd be great if it happened, but it still wasn't really in the forefront because I wasn't 
I was doing a little bit of math, but I still was like so focused on the people around me chatting. Yeah, which was great. And that's like what I need because otherwise I'm just like too in my head. And so that's when like Robbie met up with us as we were about to finish. And so, of course, like Heather was there and I was like, okay, I just need to follow her forward. And that's when like I heard people yelling out paces. Okay. Like Mark would be like, okay, that was like 517. And I was like... It was? Okay. Like, okay, so like another kilometer had passed, and that was like kind of helpful because there was just like a shout-out of happening, and it was like they weren't on the same kilometer mark that like Heather and my garments were on, so it was just like kind of nice to be like, okay, we're ahead. Like, I think we're still doing well. At this late stage, though, to be moving is good enough. To be running at all is a big deal. Yeah, I mean... you were running, you were flying. I mean, this was one where I felt, I just felt great. And I didn't feel like I didn't have that wall that I sometimes hit, especially when I'm by myself, what, yeah. like in Berlin, where it's like, I just, I'm enjoying the day, but I just like, don't want to be doing it anymore. <laughs> Whereas this, I was just like, I'm having fun with everyone. Like, I don't want this magical feeling. Just a good day. Everything yeah, works. it was just a yeah. good day. And I, I wasn't feeling tired. I was feeling, I was like, wait, we can keep going. This is great. <laughs> And then to be able to come into the finish and, like, see this little, like, cheer tunnel and there was, like, a blanket with my name on it and, like, everyone had drawn a finish line. And the problem was that we weren't done yet when we came through. And Heather had said, you know, we had talked about that we were going to be a little off. Like, we knew even though we had added some extra during that there was going to be something at the end. And at that point, I said, I can't turn around. Because what we said was, well, I could turn around before I see everyone, Mm -hmm. run back, and then run forward so that we do end on the right spot. But mentally, I was like, I can't turn around again. I was like, I I can't. Yeah, I was like, I just had to keep running straight. And she was like, okay. I'm like, so we can run through the finish, but we're going to have to just keep running forward. And yeah. I, at that point we had the phone out because I, I just needed the app to say a hundred percent. So I was just like, look at the phone, look at my Garmin, but like all we care about is the app. So we went, like everyone was, it was amazing. And then I was like, I, and you can see me so in the video going, I got to keep going. So yeah, I yeah. just kept going straight and I was like, I don't care. And so as I was going straight, the app recorded the finish Oh, the app was at 100%. Okay, I didn't realize. But my Garmin wasn't at 100% yet. So I gave her the phone because (laughs) I knew that the Garmin was the backup. Is this all in this last 20 seconds? It's all in that last. So we go past everyone and I go, here's my phone. (laughs) Now I can turn around and finish. And then I came into the finish. And that's when my Garmin was right at 42.2. And so that's when I hit it. And so I had no idea what the official time was because I basically saw it hit 100 and then I gave her the phone and so I... You came, like, the, the distance was done. That's the, all the I wanted. Was I was like, the, everything yeah. was good. The app was great. And then I was like, okay, make sure the backup gets yes. 42.2 so I can take the picture. Nice. Great. That, that's like- and then it wasn't until I had hit this and I saw that my Garmin had like four hours exactly. And I was yeah. like, all right, well, that's exciting. Like, I haven't run four hours in a while. And then that's when Deanna had my phone and my official time, which was 358.44, which was a five-second PR. Like, this four hours is a great time. Anyway, yeah, it's a nice very, clean Yeah, very rare for me to... But then to be a PR. 
Because you were running on trails, basically. And yeah. like, there was a lot of tracks, a lot of dirt paths, and a lot of mud. Like, it had been raining on the day, and then oh, raining the, previously. The, the, third the third lap. lap. The third I, lap. So I didn't run the third lap, but I ran the fourth one and heard all about the third lap. Yeah, oh, the, the third... Again, this is one where, like, you plan and you never know what's going to happen on race day. And it had rained so hard the night yeah. before yeah, that this great extra loop that we added in to make <laughs> it just the right distance was all mud. And so we were slish- sloshing around. And that was one where Heather and I were like, we, we can't do this again. Again, we've got to adapt on the next loop. That's what I heard. Which yeah. was great. So it was nice to have someone like Heather who lives near the boss who runs there so often that was like already in her head. She was like, great, we take this out. We go there. That way we can make up the distance. So having someone so familiar with the boss was really helpful. Also, just knowing that we were very open to go with the flow of like, let's see what happens on this lap. And then we'll kind of adjust as we need to was also very helpful. It was just like very calming. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had, so of the 17 marathons I've done, I've only had one sub four and it was my second marathon ever. And it was in 2012. I didn't know that was your PR. Yeah. So that was one where my first marathon was 559. It's a big swing. And my second (laughs) marathon was 358. I've never had that. In Savannah. Super flat. Georgia. Yeah. Wasn't it a winter race I hope? No, it was November. So it was still warm. Oh, no. Because then I ran in Georgia. Then I ran 2015 or 2017 Savannah Marathon, and it was 95 degrees. They had to cut the course. Two people died. Like, it was a whole situation. But back to London. Um, So, yeah. So this was one where I was – it was – I was shocked. Like, when Deanna said Mm. that, it was just like, wow. And then when I actually, like, looked at my Garmin data later – you know, it said like your moving time versus your standing time. Cause obviously I stopped in the cheer zone at the end of every loop to refuel or yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So actually my moving time was like 353. So like that was something where I was like, wow, this really motivates me to think like maybe I could PR again somewhere and like have something, nice. you know, again to kind of look forward to. And I think for me, it's really the balancing act between making sure that I don't lose the fun of the sport to only focusing on the PR because I did have a spell in 2012 where all I cared about was PRing. And it was like, if I didn't PR a 5k, cause I was doing a 5k like every month or so, if I didn't PR that next one, I was like, well, that was a waste of time. I've never had that mentality. It was very brief. It was only, it only lasted for me until the, the bombing happened in 2013 because that reset me completely to yeah. say like, I am going to celebrate any finish line I can have. Cause a bunch of my friends didn't even make this finish line that I got to make. So that changed changed me mentally from then on out. But there was a time before that where I thought if I don't PR, this is a waste of time. And then I was like, what am I thinking? Yeah, like I am going to enjoy some place. And now that, I spend more time traveling for races, even if they're within the country that I live in. It still is allowing me to see this beautiful place of the country and the world that I don't want to pass up a beautiful rainbow just so that I can take 30 seconds off of the finish time. So like that, that kind of changed. You got an important rainbow lately, didn't you? You ran with Heather? That was cool. Yeah. So that's one where it's like, I have to keep kind of balancing for myself because sometimes if I see that PR happen, then my mind starts going like, okay, well, if you stop 
running the race you normally race, like you could probably be faster. And that's what people tell me. They're like, look, you can, you can finish faster if you stop doing what you normally do. And then I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to enjoy it if I keep doing that. So like trying to have that internal struggle inside is tough because the, the, like the key is there's, there's no wrong answer. Like you can have people who are just fast naturally and are gifted athletes who are pushing themselves to the limit and that's where they get their fun. Fantastic. That's Mm -hmm. exactly what you should do. But if that's not fun and you enjoy the social aspect, you enjoy the, the making the most of the day, the event rather than the, the, the performance, then soak it all in. I mean, I think bit. that's what made it even sweeter was that like when Deanna said that, like if you watch the video, like my face is just like, you have to be kidding me that I somehow PR <laughs> so, so in all that. And what do you, that 10 seconds or so. When Five you, seconds PR. No, but in that time when you crossed the line. Yeah. So, so we we didn't know which direction you were coming from. So we had to draw a finish line, like the little checkered marks, but we didn't know where to write finish because it could be upside down. So right. we didn't write finish. So you had to cross the line and then come back to get the Garmin full. Yeah, uh, which actually ended up working out that like the Garmin finish was right over that line. Nice. Like it worked out perfectly <laughs> that like when I actually clicked, I was like, oh, I'm over the line officially this wow. time. So like... I was going to ask what do you remember about that, but it sounds like it was all pretty clear to you. How much is that the video and the, the flashbacks or were no, you it's very clear. there on the day? Like it is, I, nice. I continue to soak in everything from that moment. Like when we came out of the woods, which had now been the third time that we've done that and mm. a number of times that I've run that same spot in the boss, like I'm used to that area. Like, coming out of that and just, like, also, there were people there that weren't there at the beginning. And I was like, new people are joining. Like, yeah, this yeah. is amazing. Like, all of that. Like, in my inner body was, like, take little snapshots of all of this right now. That's because cool. you're never going to have this again. And that's why everything is so clear to what I can do. And that, But that's why I also love photos and videos of races so much because it brings you right back to that moment which is why I take so many photos during my races because I don't want to forget about the marathon eight years ago I want to be able to look at a photo and say like this is taking me right back to that moment in Savannah when I couldn't do math on my watch and I texted my friend to be like what's my pace before I got a Garmin that did actual stuff we we spoke about that earlier like we what I have run enough now, and certainly you have run more than enough marathons and races to blur the lines a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you remember a moment, but what was that in? What, which race was, did I run? Which year did I run that in? And then I, recently I've been looking through them, like Facebook memories, Google Photos memories, all that kind of thing, which can be a blessing or a curse, depending on the memory. But there could be a photo of a cup of coffee somewhere, and I think, oh, that was when I was in Budapest and this was what happened. And then the whole memory is back again. Mm-hmm. And you'll have the running selfie where you can see nothing in the background, but suddenly you're there and you remember all these details that are dormant in your brain somehow. A hundred percent. And that's why like, I do keep every medal and every bib that I've ever had because yes. the things that when I see them on the wall and I pick that one out, I'm like, I can remember exactly where I was during that 5k when all of a sudden I was lost and I went the wrong way. Mm. And then I had to turn around and somehow my 5k became 6k. Like it happens (laughs) to anyone. Um, But those are instances that come back to you. And that's what I like about it. That's why I used to blog a lot more and I need to get back to it because I love being able to look back at recaps and like remind myself of how I was feeling 
in those moments because sometimes you can either make a memory worse than it was or better than it was. And then you think back to be like, oh, no, that was actually the shittiest moment of any race ever. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, no, the porta potty saved me in that moment. You know, whatever it might have been. Um, I think the, the beautiful thing is our minds, our default human nature is to remember the good and forget yeah. the bad. Which is a lovely thing. Like, well, I mean, especially when it comes that. to marathon running, yeah. right? Because yeah. usually people are like, why have you done, you know, 17? Or I have friends that have done 70 marathons. And wow. you remember that first one where you said, I'm never going to do this again. And that's what, yeah, but you but remember that good time that I ate a pretzel during the marathon? And, like, <laughs> yeah, that's and people are takes. like, yeah, but you can have a pretzel whenever you want. But I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't taste as good as when you're exactly. at mile 24 and then it tastes so good or you know when you're running through disney and people are like you can just go to disney and i'm like yeah but i could run through disney dressed as snow white and that's amazing and that's never gonna happen again and those are the instances that i really enjoy and that's what keeps me signing up for them because i keep saying like this is going to be the last one i don't need to keep doing this but yeah. then Either a friend wants to do one and I'm like, absolutely, I will hop in with you. Or, you know, being able to be a part of someone's first, you know, being a part of someone's first 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon, like whatever it might be, like, it is such an honor mm. to be a part of that, that I love being able to watch it. It's such a big day in their life, whether right. it's a 5K or half marathon, pick your distance regardless for some people, a 5K might as well be a marathon mm -hmm. because they never thought they'd run a 5K. And that's incredible. Like the, that's It's something so pure and so um, worthwhile to be a part of. But I think that's also something that people have to remember is that if you run a 5K, you don't have to run a marathon. <laughs> like not everyone yeah, yeah, needs yeah. to run a marathon or an ultra marathon. Like I have friends that like 5K is their jam. And they were like, I will run a hundred five Ks this year. And I'm like, that is all that is, you have to celebrate what you like. And yeah. like, sometimes I'm like, why do I keep signing up for marathons? Like <laughs> my happy distance is a half marathon yeah. because I the training isn't as intense as the marathon training and you still get just as much joy out of it. True. So why do I keep signing up for these? Like, I don't know what that is. And <laughs> half the, mar the medals I have behind me, I've got the New Orleans Rock and Roll Half Marathon, one of the best races I've ever run, one of the best times in my life. The Budapest Half Marathon, I've, I've run a half marathon, my first ever one in, in the west of Ireland. Well, it's the, like wonderful experiences. And I look at my dad now, who's not willing to run a full one anymore, but will still run halves and travel with me and I realized, yeah, that's great because the travel, the, the destination, the experience, the, the people you run it with are so much a part of the experience, whether it's a half marathon, a 10K, a 5K, a couch to 5K. And that can lead to a half, a full marathon Yeah, but the good thing is that it doesn't have to no, because no, there's no, no. enough. I would say there's probably more 5K races in the U.S. than maybe I've experienced in mm -hmm. Europe okay. unless it's like attached to another race. So like rock and roll usually does a 5K the day before a half but I don't see a lot of, in general, 5Ks. For example, just in the Netherlands that That's I've true. experienced personally. Yeah. Whereas in the U.S., like 5K is a very big race for people. But, you know, I grew up in the Boston area where a lot of D1 athletes. D1. So Division One college okay. sports. So I ran my PR of uh, 2146. I came like 250th in the 5K. <laughs> So like nowhere close to the front yeah, because yeah. there's so many D1 athletes that it's like, I'm not going to be anywhere close to the top, but I was but still so proud. No, we had an amazing time. 
And then we, you know, celebrated afterwards. And it was like a great Sunday morning activity for everyone that like everyone was out, at, you know, just being able to say, I'm going to go out and do this 5K, whether it's running, yes. walking, run, walk, however you want to do it, jogging, whatever it is, um, and still be able to feel accomplished at the jogging. end. Jogging, is that a Anchorman joke? Jogging, yeah, because it's kind of like they call it walking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're either walking or jogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. It's just usually but- I call myself like... Especially if I'm like deep into a race and just kind of like jogging out there. Nice. That goes back to the breweries thing, the difference as well, because you you can just go and like it's it's for everybody. You don't have to be a beer nerd or anything to go to a brewery in the U.S. And I, I'm glorifying the U.S. a little bit. It's always yeah. a bit of grass greener on the other side, but families can hang out, or you can just meet your friends, and it's a social thing. It's not about beer. Whereas the, like a five k is not about athletic performance. If you can run, walk, walk, if you can finish a 5K in any capacity or just be a part of the day, be a volunteer, be a supporter, mm-hmm. that's what it's about. So to me, that's the key, that, the connection, the, the community aspect, the social, mental benefits versus anything physical is far more important. I really and that's right. That. I don't know how that that gets pushed more here where we are because like I have um, a friend that lives in Germany And she did her first ever half marathon and she was not counted as official because they wouldn't consider anyone over two and a half hours. Really? And she finished in like three hours and she went and did a race in the U S and was like, you know, three fifteen, and was like, still had a celebration, you know, during that race. And so that's that's where I, I, I find it tough that I, you don't want to generalize that, European races are more about time, but unfortunately when your cutoffs are shorter, you know, even in, in Paris last year, I was injured when I ran, I was worried that I was going to get swept. And I was like, this is like my 15th marathon and I am not even sure if I'm going to finish. So I hustled my ass for the first half to kind of like build myself time because I was like, and I didn't take nearly as many photos because I was too worried about getting swept that I was like, I can't like, I need to make sure that that was the race that I looked at mine, but then I didn't. That's one of the things that you don't want to generalize and you hope that races are much more open, but obviously people are saying, well, you know, Paris is a big city. They have to, you know, cut off, um, to reopen the streets. But I'm like, yeah, but the Boston marathon is the same way. And it goes through at least 10 different cities yet people can still finish in 14 hours. They might not be official, but people are still open to finish during that time and not really feeling like they were not part of the day. So there's obviously many different aspects of it between the different countries, but I just want to figure out a way. And I don't know, I think I need to spend more energy figuring out how to be a better influencer in this of like making it so that people of all fitness levels feel like they can come out for a run or one run walk or however you want to take Mm. part in this race and feel like they're included. I'm very much on board with that mission because even on a marathon level and if you can if like if if running a 5k to you seems like a ridiculous concept it's not first of all but congratulations like if you can work your way up to that distance Mm -hmm. fantastic 5k is a long way and i never forget that but like the people who tell us that i could never run a marathon i i my reply to them is go to a marathon go to any city go to your local marathon 
you will see people there who also should or could never run a marathon, but they do. And so there's the mentality aspect, the, the mental strength involved is a massive part of it. But you can do it. Like there are, you pass an 80 year old who finished his marathon or they, their marathon, and you see people in costume, you see people with disabilities, people of all fitness levels, all body types, all areas of, of society finishing marathons. And if, if you don't want to, that's fine. You don't have to. It's Everyone has their own goals in life. But to just write it off, I mean, it's I just premature. I mean, part of it too, like when I ran Berlin last year, one of my friends who is a blogger at 300 pounds and running, like the finish line was shut down for him yeah, that's, by the time that's he finished. Cool. And like that is not okay. No. And that is not the inclusive feeling that you want from especially a world major. And when you compare it to like, what I've seen from Boston and what I've seen from London, it's very different. And then, and that's the problem when we come to different countries and cultures, which obviously is understandable, but it's like, how do we make this overall human understanding that people can run marathons in longer times, slower times, whatever you want to call it. But they should still be allowed to finish and they should still be allowed to have the same experience. I mean, that's that's the major thing is that like if I am third to last or if I am somehow in the middle or in the front, everyone should get the same experience. Maybe I don't need the same experience as Shalane Flanagan. She's an Olympian. I get it. But I, the everyone, the rest of us, the everyday runners, as they call it, in uh, during London, um, we should all be able to have the same experience. You're not going to get the ticker tape finish line, but you're right. going to get. You should get crowds. You should get a medal. You should get the whole fanfare around it. Right. That's true. I, that's something to my privilege. Like I'm, you know, a young, healthy individual who can run relatively decent times, so I don't have that back of the pack finishing last. But struggle but yeah that's a that's a good point I, I i'd never really thought about the, the complete back of the pack before and like you said everybody signs up everybody trains everybody pushes themselves whether that's three hours or six hours it shouldn't matter right or whether it's eight hours yeah. and like that's that's i think the big thing is that something like over six hours depending on the country, like, isn't a feasible understanding for someone to be like someone is going to run that marathon mm. in that amount of time and then that's okay and that we need to understand and adapt for that. It really is a regional thing as well. I remember I read this great article. I think it was on Runner's World, but it was on one of the running websites where it was like an elite guy who wrote a love letter to the back of the pack. Did you have you did you see that article? I don't know where it was. So good. It might have been the one that my friend wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. But it there was, was it was just it was a guy who said, "I'm born with long legs, with the right muscle fibers, whatever, with the right physical attributes to run a fast marathon." I'm that was not, you know, my work ethic or anything. That was just gifted to me, and I've done my best with that. But he said he runs a marathon in sub three, whatever, some elite, super fast time. I cannot imagine how people run it on a, you know, the, the the back of the pack, the people who run it in six, eight, ten hours, whatever. He said the idea of being on my feet for more than four hours would mm-hmm. be torture. And he has so much respect for those people who aren't born with all the natural things, who shouldn't, quote unquote, be running a marathon, but are. 
it's so much more work for them and they deserve just as much if not more fanfare than the elites than the ones who are just gifted athletes yeah my friend had written one um back when we ran runner ran the runner's world half marathon um because normally she is a front of the pack kind of person yeah um and she experienced an injury and as a result was in the back of the pack so she wrote her experience as like someone that has experienced the back of the pack now oh interesting and it was kind of you know, frustrating for a lot of people that said, we've been saying this for a while, but it <laughs> took this person from the front to come to the back yeah. to get more acclaim. But that was kind of the vis- the the spotlight we needed on that to say, mm-hmm. like, look, there is an issue because that was that race where they're literally taking down the water station as they're trying to drink water. And the guys behind are just being like, it's my time to clean this up. Uh, and that's not a race experience anyone no. should have. And so trying to figure out a way to make it more acceptable, if you will, that it doesn't, you don't have to run a certain pace to be able to be included in this world. And there are people that are always going to ask for pace first, which is fine. That's up to them. Um, Usually I selectively respond to people when they ask, well, what what was your pace for that race? I'm usually like, I had a fantastic pace. I had a great time. You You want to see my pictures from it. it. And I, I choose to not always necessarily have to because I immediately feel put on the spot and less than. If I don't say, oh, yeah, I run, ran a sub four yeah. marathon because otherwise they're like, you know, when I ran Disney in 714, seven hours, 14 minutes, I was out there. I had a blast. I wrote a mar- I rode a roller coaster. I waited in line for things. I had my margarita. I had a fantastic time. That's I great totally got my, minutes. yeah, I got my money's worth when it comes <laughs> to the Disney races that are quite expensive. And, you know, people were like, I'm sorry, you wrote for how long? And I was like, yeah, and I had a fantastic time. Yeah. Like the, so Quality many times. Yeah. And so many times I'm like, I paid, you know, $19 per mile. You know, if you break down how much this race costs, I'm getting my money's worth. Yeah. I'm going to be out here for as long as I want to. Absolutely. I'm going to have an ice cream. I'm going to have like a, a pretzel. And that's the key. Like you can finish in the, the best time ever and that can be wonderful. Or you can soak in the atmosphere and be as slow as you like. And that can equally, there's no value right. of one over the other. And that's that's where I just don't know if we're ever going to be able to have this world that I would love mm-hmm. where both are fully respected to oh, the same amount. Let's change the world here. I let's, know. Let's How figure change it out. The world? But that's one where I was like, I, I just want both respected as much as the other. Yeah. And I feel like that's really hard. And I don't know if it's more people that aren't in the running community that are the ones kind of dictating that because like, you know, when I mentioned that I had a beer during a race, the person that had never run before was like, that seems stupid. And I was like, but you've never run at all. I was like, or it's the people that are, you know, solely focused on pace. I, I want to say it's them. I I think it's more the performance people that make the rest of us feel, but I don't know. I, I I have a lot of personal gripes that I, I shouldn't bring up and just get into little, petty things that go on in my mind but I feel more pressure from the people who run fast than the ones who don't run at all. Mm. If someone said, wow, you run a marathon or a half or a 10k whatever, they're impressed by that and then they don't they don't know the context where on the on your London Marathon Day I had somebody, I won't say the name because it's irrelevant but um, they knew what, who I was and they, they knew me fairly well and that I've run some marathons and I'm a runner and 
I told him my PB, my PR is 359.42. Like it's that close to four hours. And he said, I thought you were fast. And I thought that's irrelevant. Like that was fast for me. Yeah. But that's not. But see that right there, what you said for me, like that is, that is the sentence. That is the two words that I would love people to get away from. Like we don't have to say that this is fast for me, or we don't have to say, I know that's slow for me. Like I just would love people to not have to quantify what they're doing anymore. And I also fall into the same, the same thing where I'm like, well, this is fast for me. And then I'm like, you know what? It is fast. I don't have to quantify it for anyone. Like, I don't care for me. I consider it fast and we're done. And that's no matter how many races I've done, it's still this mental game where I have to find for myself that I am like worthy to say like, this was great it's fine whatever happens happens and I feel like we all are quantifying in one in whatever way but I would just love people to stop saying like blah 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 for me and it's like no just you are fast hard stop that's where it is please stop saying for me because I'm like you don't have to and I feel like that's where I spend a lot of my social media time like (laughs) please stop saying for me like it's fine or in myself when I write a caption on social media to not say like, I know this is like slow for others. And I get into that all the time. Like, I know I didn't run enough for others. And it's like, no, like (laughs) I chose this distance for me. I ran this time for me and that's perfectly fine. Like I'm not going to fit into the local running club because I'm not fast enough. And that's okay. I have to stop quantifying that. It's the beautiful thing about a marathon because I Spirit of the Marathon, that documentary, yeah. you've seen it, the Chicago Marathon, it follows five or so runners of different levels. It's wonderful. There's one great quote in that where one of the people is saying, the marathon is one of those rare moments where like, you could be a golfer, you'll never play with Tiger Woods. It's, it's just not going to happen. Or tennis and Roger Federer. But when you're running a marathon, you're running with Shalane Flanagan, you're running with um, Sarah Paul Redcliffe, Hall. Sarah mm-hmm. Hall, you're running with Elliot Kipchoge. You're not going to beat them, of course, but it's the same. Everybody's in that same race, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing. Like, there are 20,000, 50,000, 400 people running a marathon. They're all running the same race, which is wonderful, but not really. Like, everybody's running their own race. One thing I really liked when I had the honor of meeting my BFF, Shalane Flanagan, which wow. I pretended that she was my BFF Again, after we met. And <clears> just another just name so drop, name drop. To tell. Yeah. But I got to meet her in 2014. And we had both run the Boston Marathon that year. And she was talking about how she was running over Heartbreak Hill and casually mentioned that they were in like the 515 mile per hour pace. And I turned to my friend and I was like, me too. Me too. I was just hours behind her, but like we were like right there at the same time. But it is one of those things. But what she mentioned, which really stuck with me, was she never runs in something you mentioned earlier, she never runs over three hours. Mm. So for her to understand that someone is going to be on their feet for six hours at a time is a lot. So she was like, I have an immense amount of respect for anyone that's running the marathon, especially people that are out there for that six to eight hour yeah. period. Cause she's like, I can't even understand being on your feet for that long. It's really nice to hear that. And that hit me so well. And I was just like, again, Shalane, you're even like, you're rising up my peak of she's why I, queen, the yeah, reasons why I, I just love her. 
especially because the times that I ran Boston, I was like, she's already won and having her burger and french fries, which first off, she told me her favorite meal is a beer, burger, and french fries after a marathon. And I was like, again, she'll name. That's an elite athlete, beer, burger, and french fries. Right. For her not to say like green smoothie, which yeah. I expected her to say. I was like, please don't say it. And she was like, fries and a beer. And I was like, but for her to, to say something like that, I was like, that's the respect that, that, that connection that we still need from the everyday athlete, mm-hmm. as they called to the elites that it's like, you know, they don't have to run that long. The respect goes both ways. Right. Exactly. And so that was something where she said that. And I was just like, thank you. Like, especially because like for that year that we were talking about, I had run, I think I ran Boston that year. Cause I went to the med tent a lot was like a 553 and she ran like a 220 and so it was great to hear her be like for those people that are out there and i was like that's me but she that was me beautiful thing about marathon running she still relates she still knows that there are thousands back there right running and has and then she comes back out to cheer for those people i mean that's that that's the concept where you're just like those are the elite athletes that I love and appreciate. The Sarah Hall, the Ryan Hall, those people that are, are out there. Married or married, yeah. I don't know. So like those people that are relating and that are cheering on the other people that are in the race, the everyday runner, as mm-hmm. they're called. Like that just continues to motivate me. That's outside nice. of the people that are like, you either run a three oh one or you shouldn't bother running a marathon. You know, like those yeah, sorts of yeah. people that I know they're out there. And I do obviously want everyone to feel included in, but it's harder for me to relate to those people that aren't like, there's more people, you know, and that more comes out with the Boston Marathon of the people that are Boston qualifiers. I think the charity runners don't have a place there because you're taking spots away from other people. Yeah, I'm not aware of that. And that's a, that's, that's been a hard concept for me as someone that ran Boston four times as a charity runner to constantly hear people that I know that are Boston qualifiers saying, well, well, you know, the charity runners take up a lot of the spots. And yeah. I'm like, well, you know, there's also, you know, people that Adidas gives spots to in the yeah. city of Boston. So there's those people that also are what, What's raising the greater good fun. at the end of the day? Like, right. You're raising They're still ra- Exactly. Same New York City Marathon, London Marathon, Boston Marathon, all of these races. But I think the difference with Boston is that it's the only race that you have to qualify for, whereas London has the qualifying and the lottery. Mm-hmm. Berlin has the qualify and the lot. You know, the the other ones have the other choices. Uh, New York is the same way with the qualifying and uh, with the lottery. And I think it's important to remember that you're going to remember those voices. Those people who say those shitty judgmental things right. stick with you, unfortunately, because that's how our brains work. The majority of people, whether they're elite or everyday, are supportive and right. lovely and wonderful. You're just going to remember the one in a hundred who is it's a true. Bit tricky. I mean, my, my favorite people are like, how far was your marathon? Because <laughs> those people, I'm like, I love it. You have no idea. that like, a 10K marathon. <laughs> the marathon is always the same distance. Yeah. And they're like, is it a 5K marathon? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Especially when you're at Disney. Because part of the thing at Disney is that every cast member has to congratulate you oh, if nice. you have your medal on. So people will just be like, congrats on your marathon. And I was like, spread a 5K today, but like, keep it. Okay. I am feeling it today. Please, please. I didn't run a marathon today. It was a long day. <laughs> but that's one, you know, even those instances where you kind of like joke about it. You're like, yeah, I ran the 5K marathon today. But even so, like those are those are still people that understand the undertaking that you're that yeah. you're doing. Um, that it's just, it's just that common respect for everyone that it's really tough for me to, to find a way 
for to put people on a level playing field. And I know I need to do more about that. And that's something I need to focus on. I think you're already way further along than most people. Like I, I had the same mentality, but less of the experiences you have. And even talking to you today has made me realize someone who finishes a marathon in eight hours still ran a marathon. And mm-hmm. that's incredible. So there's, there's something to take from, from that for sure. We have to land this plane eventually, I think. Yeah. I guess you, you'd want to go home. Um, your wife is probably wondering where you are at this stage. <laughs> so, um, folks, for listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Danny Holmes-Kirk, I'll link to all her incredible work below in all the descriptions and everything. Danny, it's been... We could just do this Oh my gosh, hours. we can do this like on a weekly basis. We will do it again, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's just so many more stories to tell. Um, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Incredible. Thank right. you.